This episode is sponsored by The Bar. It's a bar named The Bar. How clever and meta. Wow. Nick and Margot. Go. Done. Sure are cool and contrary to the rumor mill. Absolutely not perpetrators of twincest. Great word, though. The Bar. Listeners, as well as every Missourian out there, are welcome to come on down and share a drink with their favorite alleged wife killer, Nick Dunn. Now here's the podcast. go to record the silent point after one it feels very um like live television news station yeah yeah, yeah. like we're interviewing nick dunn we're interviewing nick dunn on although the it wasn't live i guess that's the whole thing it was not yeah the alan abbott show and then what was the i'm blanking on the other show he goes on <laughs> I, to can't, I, can't, I can't remember her name but that's the one i was thinking of yeah um okay well today's episode is gone girl uh the book written by Jillian Flynn and uh who also wrote the screenplay and uh the film by David Fincher 2014 or 2015 2014 fall 2014 premiered at the New York Film Festival October 2014 wonderful so coming up on eight years then six years I can't do math eight years okay 2022 although we should say in a certain way we're still stuck in 2020 right now because Matt (laughs) Oh, I have COVID. Yeah, I have COVID. The novel coronavirus. Yeah, I was supposed to come back to LA this weekend um, for a wedding, and I was going to hang. Tanner and I were going to have a bros day today, actually, and work on a short film script, maybe record an episode, play some basketball, a lot of a lot of high fives, a lot of smiles. But uh, (laughs) unfortunately, I developed coronavirus again. Uh, I was very exposed. Why? This is the second time. Second time. yeah, second time in nine months. So I could have had another kid. <laughs> um, it's funny to be recording this podcast with you throughout like major life changes. I feel like because it's yeah, like we started really it. <laughs> in co- we did our first episode of No Country when I was literally recording on moving boxes, and then we recorded an episode episodes in Maine. We recorded them in Pennsylvania. Then I went to Italy for a month. You also got married. I got married. It's true. Uh, then moved to Portland, Oregon, where I'm now recording with COVID and just ruining the people's lives around me by this very inconvenient diagnosis. But hey, you're a trooper. Yeah. So we traded a, a planned bros day for a girl day. For a girl day, a gone girl gone day. Gone girl. Speaking of, speaking of which, I want to let's start with this little factoid because I think it's really funny. Um, the they were like this, this, <laughs> this, uh um oh you i just realized you're commenting on the google thing that makes me laugh um, <laughs> Sorry. but yeah you said the girl no it, no it's good i like that you're doing that I, I should be more professional and read it in advance but uh like the biggest books that have sold the most money like just have been just stupid amounts of money like 20 million copies like gone girl by 2022 um all the, the some journalists just notes <laughs> that like the top three are all with girl in the title it's like gone girl the girl with the dragon tattoo and the girl on the train that is, that is so weird and sad. I mean, I don't know. Uh, I do think that there's contrary to what uh, is said out there sometimes. Let's start it off here, I guess. But I've heard that women actually do dictate the market. 
they are I'm, actually make most of the consumer choices. Especially, well, I mean, do you mean specifically with with books? I've heard in general, but then specifically with with literature, definitely with definitely. books, right? Right. Uh, um. So I was saying our new podcast should be the Film Girls. <laughs> Film Girls. Let's just change it. Uh, I was gonna say one of my favorite things. I mean, I guess we could do that on on that if we ever do an episode covering the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, also directed by David Fincher. But that uh, that book in Sweden, obviously, it was a big hit in Sweden and all mm-hmm. over the world. Like what its actual title translates to is not the girl with the dragon tattoo. Oh. It's the much more intense and kind of hilarious men who hate women. Wow. That sounds like Mirakami or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a pretty good title. It is. So men like, who hate oh, what women. else can we call this here? What about the girl? Uh, what's, what's her deal? I think she's got a dragon tattoo. She's got a dragon tat? What if they wrote that in? to the story like the original one did had no, she had no tattoos um, i like that i mean he was dead before they came out but i also i do like that idea they had his wife the executor of his estate added <laughs> all mentions of tattoos hey i mean tattoos sell i guess um but the thing that's funny then and i'm going to use this hard transition i guess and this is going to be me being judgmental so i'm going to just throw this out there this is judgmental um because I, I do am a firm believer that anything you, any reading you're doing is a net good. It's a net positive. You can read anything and I think it's good. However, I don't think the girl with the dragon tattoo is well-written at all. Like it's very fun. I'll, I would never say it's not fun. I've read it and it's like very fun and it's part of it's a translation, right? But it's just like the most basic writing. Like it feels like a draft. You're just reading someone plotting out a story. And it may, I mean, he died. It may be, you know, I know. I wonder how much of that is translation or also it kind of lends itself to it in certain ways. Cause it's like, it's got this cold Swedish remove to it and it's just all information. Um, but it is pretty funny. I, I joke all the time uh, to my girlfriend that that book, the, those books and I, kind of the American movie, the book is just like, three times a page it's just and then he got a black coffee and some open-faced sandwiches <laughs> I'm, I'm reading i'm just like sweden sounds great i want a black coffee great. and some open-faced sandwiches and i want to work on my macbook um, and also the, the the character descriptions are hilarious there's like the one girl who's like his his f buddy and they're like she's <laughs> hot and she has big boobs like it's very just like all right yeah like her big looks- boobs are big in her sweater <laughs> yeah if those books were set in america it would just feel like reading pure trash it kind of already does but it's like something it's about certainly fun sweden you're like well this mm-hmm. is kind of fancy i do oh, think yeah, it they're 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 shitty yeah well then to keep this judgmental streak going and this is relates back to our first conversation about it's really hard because you have certain things you like but you have certain things you want to broadcast or present that you like so you seem cool um as we were talking about that with our film picks we we're like what it's so hard to not try to be cool and be like i actually really like this movie even though maybe you don't like it as much as like et or something <laughs> but you want to uh-huh. seem cool so i was reading gone girl for this podcast and um i went to a friend's wedding and it was a really cool wedding my friend christy it was like my favorite wedding i've been to maybe you liked it more than mine even it was like all at a campground and everyone was staying in cabins and it was like beautiful and you felt like a camper again like it, it was just like super fun lovely. and 
and we left Florence behind with her grandma. Um, so that was like, we had this great, wonderful weekend together with all our college friends. Like I had left my phone in the cabin for like hours and hours. And I felt like uh-huh. a human and like saw the stars and dance on the floor with my, my new bride and all that stuff. So it was really great. Unfortunately, Florence took a knock and had to get stitches while we were gone. <laughs> but uh, they told Wait, what happened. No. She uh, hit a door and bust open her her forehead here in between her eyes, so to get two stitches. Um, yeah, and the so that was like the biggest wake up call. Like in the mornings, so we had this amazing two days. And this Sunday, is great. Like, no phone. <laughs> it's and like then, your daughter's bam, wounded. Yeah, worst nightmare. But um, anyway, and I'm like, there's only so often you get to read publicly and see. Uh-huh. <laughs> cool and i'm reading gone girl and in my head and like so many women or girls are coming up like at all ages all ages from from 19 to to 30 really <laughs> um coming up to me and being like that book is so good like and in my head i'm reading it and similar i will say the the literary content of this book is bet is much better than the girl with the dragon tattoo but i still consider it like popular fiction and i'm like you know a douche so i'm like oh i should have brought like <laughs> i should have brought like dovstoyevsky it is one of those things movies. where like yeah both the movie and I, I haven't read the book in a while but it, it's like this is trash but it knows it's trash and certainly the movie is like about that and repurposing mm-hmm. it um but it is kind of like this is a you know a dime store paperback that's also the most popular book in the world you know like i want you to know i, know. I read real things i, I um, know I, I had i had that thought i'm like it's just lost everyone's just gonna think this is my aesthetic and that's fine um i did be like well i'm reading it for a podcast like i did you say that a couple <laughs> times but uh and it is fun to read and i think it's chris rock says you got to respect the kill when it turns to comedians like when you say a comedian's a hack or whatever but if they're killing like you know there's something in that when something sells 20 million copies they're tapping into something and i have to say i watched a few jillian flynn or sorry gillian flynn interviews for this she's very smart very smart woman clearly i mean yeah even with the work she's done in film and television since this you're like oh she's clearly talented real quick it's funny you mentioned chris rock uh I was not planning on bringing this up, but I was thinking about watching this the last slap. night. <laughs> <laughs> Let's litigate the slap. Yeah. Um, yeah. No. Um, I, I remember, I don't know if it was when this came out. I just remember, I hate interview quotes like this, but it was, he said something like how, talking about how comedy is kind of innate and you have to like either get it or you don't, which I'm sure is true, definitely. But uh, he was saying, I was like, anyone, not anyone, but like, if you know how to make a movie, you could direct a good drama, but not everyone gets comedy. And and I was like, I'm on board. That makes sense. You know about this. And then, but then he goes like Gone Girl, good movie, but like, you could figure out how to make a good drama like Gone Girl. And to me, I'm like, Gone Girl is funnier than anything you've ever been in, Chris Rock. <laughs> like, what? Shut up. Like, that's dumb. Maybe that's, that's not true, take. but it's, yeah. It's just like, pick a different movie. <laughs> I'm well, sure it was just like the movie of the day when he said that. And I get it. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, that's so dumb. I feel like we're starters though. Chris Rock stand up is great. And Down to Earth is a funny movie. No, totally. And I also think he's a really cool filmmaker, too. Like he, you know, he adapted an Eric Romare movie and oh, I, I like top, top five. Yeah, I think I love my wife. He and Louis C.K. wrote an, it's an adaptation of uh, Cleo in the Afternoon, the Eric Romare movie. Oh. Well, I know they wrote 
uh, down to earth together. But that's funny though too, because also um, Chris Rock's favorite film filmmaker, yeah, it's true, uh, is is Woody Allen, and his he talks he's he had this really funny joke about being like no one no like black people at the barbershop like like Woody Allen so he doesn't know how to say it no one's ever like yo Hannah and her sisters Hannah and her sisters match point <laughs> like all this stuff is really funny but the reason this works so well is because I feel like Gillian Flynn tapped into something that clearly she 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 fulfilled this need this this mystery of marriage but then you have a fincher like this exacting director i just think it's so fascinating that he takes these two works of popular fiction right and he like does what he does it's just such a precise like movie with so much momentum and it's perfectly cast so it's like you can't do that like that's in a certain sense i guess what he's saying is someone can figure out the plot of a drama a woman goes missing and then they suspect the husband but to like to to bring it with this vision is takes so much craft it's a it's an impeccably shot and edited film Let, let's let's start there because the we will get into the leads which are the most important but yeah it's like chris rock would anyone else alive think about casting Neil Patrick Harris and Tyler Perry in these roles? And that just like set puts it into the stratosphere. Like the Neil Patrick Harris as Desi is the funniest casting <laughs> ever. And it's so it just casting. correct and perfect. Oh my God. It's funny. <laughs> He's really, yeah. And then Tanner Bolt, Tanner. Tanner um, Bolt, Tyler Perry's just a delight in this movie. He's really good. Um, yes, I don't know. We don't have to get too get too uh, bogged down on this Chris Rock thing, but we can. Let's not. I should I run well, point a little bit on on Gillian Flynn? Oh, you're gonna say something? sure. Um, sure, I was just gonna say. I mean, we could we could do that. We could also we didn't really discuss. We could also, you know, I, obviously you just read um, the novel. We could talk about when we read the book and saw the movie for the first time. Um, okay. Yeah. Clearly, um, I, I, clearly, I want to tell my story, which isn't even a story. So I don't know why. Okay. I have that. a good story for when I saw it, but I just told a story about the campground. Okay, so you yeah, tell yeah, a story go. and then I'll tell well, it and I'll go. Well, so I guess in 2013, my girlfriend at the time was reading Gone Girl and then, but then she eventually she finished it, and then I was like, I was not going to read it. But then I was like, oh, I mean, what a rude thing! But I was like, oh, David Fincher's making a movie. I'm gonna read this book first, uh, and like bond with my girlfriend over it. Um, and then so I read it, uh, and it was like, yeah, I, I had certainly really enjoyed it, especially the twist halfway through. I mm-hmm. remember finding pretty thrilling. And then I guess I'd already moved to LA when it when the movie was coming out yeah because it was fall 2014 actually i remember this vividly because i was in like my like psycho i think i still worked at starbucks and i was like i'm off tonight i can see two night of the new beverly what am i gonna do so i went and saw um oh god Oh my God. I'm can't remember the name of the Paul Mazursky movie. <laughs> a bunch of names and and Ted and Alice. Fuck with Elliot Gould. Edit this. Oh, out. um I know I, I can't I can, I can look wait, it up. I can look it up. Yeah, hold on. It's so funny. <laughs> a podcast famous. Joe and Ron on 
talk movies is a podcast I like, and they just did an episode on this like not too long ago. A great movie, and I'd never seen it. And it was like they were like, This is a new print that Sony gave to Quentin Tarantino because uh Django and Chained was such a success. Um, I don't think it was Sony because Sony did once upon a time in Hollywood, but um, and it was a beautiful print, and then uh I went straight from there and like drove from the new Beverly to the arc light for like opening night of gone girl. And I was like, this maybe was too many movies for one night, but love <laughs> gone girl singing in the theaters alone. Um, wow. That's, I mean, Hey, you're committed, committed to the game, the moonrise kingdom uh, driving from Yucaipa, California. Yes. It. To make and it to the arc light. Double dipping here again. Um, the Bring movie's called Bob and Carol and Ted and Bob Alice. and Carol and Ted and Alice. I knew Ted and Alice could not remember Bob and Carol. Anyway, what's what's your uh, funny viewing story? Um, so I uh, started to see this girl, woman. I, I feel so weird. I never know what to say when you're like 22. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, I started to see a coworker. I put my two weeks in at this. I was working at a job in the Hancock Building in Chicago. I put my two weeks in, and then, um, like you know, like told a girl that I liked her, and she liked me back as well. And like our, we like, I think we like hooked, like kissed at a bar or something already at this point. But then we, she wanted to go see Gone Girl, like our first date. And like, and we had been working together for a few months. So we knew her pretty well. And we sat next to each other um, type of thing. And then, um, so we're going like this date and she was like, yeah, let's see Gone Girl. It was like her idea. And I was like very into it, but I was like, isn't that, it was like opening, opening night or something. And she was like, yeah, we'll just go to the theater. I was like, we should probably try to get tickets in advance. She's like, it'll be fine. And we go there sold out aggressively every single, uh, like showing that night really in Chicago, it was just like sold out. And there was a couple that were really far away that were like, oh, should we take the train or a cab like across town, like try to get there. We'd be there like 20 minutes late. And <laughs> And then she was clearly so bummed. And in hindsight, it's not really your fault. I could have just been proactive. Like, no, I'm going to get him. But she was very like, no, let's just go to the theater. Uh, there's a showing at like 730. So it's just sold out everywhere. And then I was like, she like kind of looked at me this way. And she's like, I'll still go back to your apartment with you. But we have to see this movie some point this week. <laughs> like, I don't know if she said that exactly, but I think she did. And then we ended up just like going to my apartment and hooking up. And then she was like, like, it was great. But it was she was very disappointed that we didn't get to see Gone Girl beforehand. So then I promised that we would see it that week. And we saw it like a couple days later. And it was really good. Oh, my God. That is so funny. <laughs> it's funny too because it's also like this movie is both on it's like on paper the ideal first date or date movie and then in actuality like maybe the worst date movie you know in certain it ways is. i don't know i think it gives you though lots to talk the, about gives you a lot to talk about and as a man i think a worst movie you could go to is like where a man is abusing a woman you know, this is flips. Yeah, that's true. That's so that's true. That's true. <laughs> it doesn't like put the idea in the head that you might kill her. It puts <laughs> you're like it, it, it flips that. So I think you're there's still the comfort. You don't have to be reminded about all the terrible violence against women in the cinema. Like you don't want to take a woman to see like Zodiac, another movie. Like, I don't think that's a good right. movie. Just what an amazing killed. movie. Yeah. Uh, that's um, true. Did I, I, it's hard to know where the line is on these <laughs> things, but that's, that's how I feel. Um, anywho. Okay, so let me run point on on GG here. And then GG, that's Gone Girl. I mean, Gillian Flynn. Gillian and Flynn, then, GF. 
and then stop me if you have points to make or questions and then we'll, we'll move on to finchy let's do it okay so gillian flynn born and raised in kansas city missouri uh dad was a film professor she would go to horror films um and watch horror films it kind of emerged as her favorite genre she has this distinct memory of watching psycho at like eight or nine and anthony perkins was one of her first crushes <laughs> apparently uh, oh, uh she practiced this is all from like an interview she said so i didn't like take this from a site or something like i heard right. her say this which is just hilarious um she practiced the Norman Bates smile in the mirror and she still can do it pretty well. And she talked about how during like imaginative role play with cousins, she had a bunch of cousins and like all the girls would want to be princesses and be arguing over who would be the princess. But she would always be like, I want to be the witch because the witch is more fun. It's more interesting. The princess has no backstory, uh, which I think is pretty telling for her <laughs> like literary career. So she goes to the University of Kansas. She's a Jayhawk. She makes it to the final four and loses <laughs> to Kentucky. And then she goes to, she does her fifth year redshirt year at Northwestern and she graduates with a master's in journalism. Um, and I think in journalism, I know that Northwestern has a really good program for like communications and journalism and television uh, stuff. Um, so she works for Entertainment Weekly right out of college. So she gets this job as a as a as a um, entertainment critic like a television critic um and she chose it because she thought journalism while she wanted to write she felt journalism was a safe pragmatic choice as a midwesterner she said ironically you know she gets laid Not off anymore, 10 years right? late yeah exactly she kind of was that, at the beginning and the that's end really <laughs> such a perfect like this is the perfect realization of like a novelist who started as an entertainment weekly like tv writer you know totally. it's like you tapped into all of that shit and this came out makes sense no for sure and she credits her time there um as really like her ability to write dialogue and i also think this is something that made me think of do you remember when uh the two of us saw the double feature of bombback and he introduced the films at the arrow uh-huh he was saying how um nobody asks him if and if francis haw's autobiographical and <laughs> right 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 exactly um, even though there are plenty of aspects from that movie that are from his life in addition exactly. to Greta Gerwig's, but everyone's like, Oh, marriage story. You're just taking directly from your life. Mm -hmm. And um, I feel like, yeah, it seems like actually she has a lot in common with Nick. Um, at least on paper, like he's a, he's a journalist who gets laid off after 10 years. Um, that type of thing. That's so, a great point. That's a, I mean, that gender is just like, a wall for anyone to even like consider that uh, a writer or director is putting themselves into a character. Yeah, everyone uh, would just assume that they're the girl. For sure. And I think, yeah, I think that's like, I will say this is an interesting point, Tanner. This is, again, I know you haven't read it in a while. And for me, an another thing I think is really hard and I hate this criticism because it's like, yeah, it is. Like, I remember I wrote a script, the one that we were going to produce and um, I had one actor get back to me and was kind of like, I wrote this part based very specifically on a girl I knew. And, um, and I got this opposite feedback then. And I was, I was, but I was kind of freaking out for a moment. Uh, she was like, this feels like a, a, a women, a woman written by a man is what she said to me. And I was like, well, it is like it I'm is. a man <laughs> writing a woman, but it was also based off a girl I knew in Chicago, like, you know, when I was a young 20 something. So, and then someone else got back to me. It was like, no, I know exactly who this person is. It was, um, she was like, yeah, I feel like this would be played by like Kristen Ritter or something. It's just this very specific type of like dark sense of humor girl. Who's like very blunt. Um, but so 
I did feel reading the book that Nick felt like it was written by a woman. Like it felt like this is a woman's idea of a man. You know what I mean? I, I think that even comes through in the movie a little bit, which is so interesting because like it, the opposite is in the text, like the whole cool girl monologue, like the idea of what a girl is supposed to be for a guy. And I mean, he's like a piece of shit, but Nick is mm-hmm. also kind of like that where you're like, I don't know if this dude really exists. Obviously, I'm sure he does. And there are certain like in the movie, it works so well, I think, because of the performance. But on paper, you're kind of like, this is just an idea of what like dudes are that mm-hmm. maybe isn't nuanced or accurate. There, I think there are certain things there that are the terms of like, like, yeah, but I think I'm in agreement with you. Like, it's a lot of it. It's like, this doesn't feel, it's not so far off reality, but it feels like um, a Halloween costume of a guy. Right, you know? right, right, right. <laughs> um, but that's fine. And then I, I, I guess you could say the same thing about Amy in a way, because Amy is like, you know, Gillian Flynn is not a sociopath either. So she's like, it's a sociopath written by a sane person in the same way. Mm-hmm. So it's, I think it works in this mass popular way, but it's not something that I'm like, I feel is totally, it doesn't need to be um, this way. I didn't feel like this is totally where like I saw a part of myself or a way I'm shitty or like whatever. I just felt like I was, I was watching kind of like a guy with like potato chip stains on his shirt and like, like kind of in PJ pants type of guy, you know? Oh, for sure. And I think with Amy, I mean, obviously her being like, like beyond real it like like she's a cypher you know like you come mm-hmm. to like and the movie certainly positions her this way both in the opening and closing shots but in the novel too where it's like yeah she's crazy to such an insane degree <laughs> in like this very like, in like i think though very okay. impressive ways i but that's a part that i think makes this unique is that she's crazy in the type a way yeah like it's incredible like it's so fun that it's like okay you're being nick is like you know for example the detective uh bonnie or boney i can never say her name right um is like do you know what she says in the movie forget is it bonnie or boney i think it's bonnie okay um says like really your fingerprints are on all of them and then it's the reality is that whenever she sleeps he's sleeping she puts a couple fingerprints on like all this stuff methodically over years like that type of crazy is so cinematic and fun it's so thrilling and again this is what i mean we can get more into this but it's she's the ideal like fincher character in that way both in that Mm -hmm. he's great at like depicting process in such a cinematic and exciting way and also it's like this is what we all think you are like fincher it's a public idea (laughs) you know I would take um, Amy over. Uh, I would take Amy Elliott over John Doe as far as villains go. Would you? Or is she the hero, Matt? No, yeah, I totally <laughs> would. No, but do you know I'm the John Doe from Seven? Yeah, 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 from okay. Seven. Yeah, yeah, no, I was just making a joke. No, she's oh, sorry, right. I miss. I didn't know if you knew who I was talking about. Like John Doe, like a character. Right, like a... just uh, I take it. <laughs> any Joker on the street any day. I have COVID. Continue. <laughs> Amy definitely would have like somehow given you like created a false negative COVID test to ruin your life somehow. For sure. She just wants to isolate me for a She week. could have done a lot with the novel coronavirus. She really could have. Um, 
Okay, so back to to Gone Girl here, or Gillian Flynn as well. So her inception for writing it, um, like I said, she felt like her job as a lawyer, or not a lawyer, that's her husband, uh, her job as an entertainment um, critic really helped her write dialogue, kind of understanding the rhythm of how people talk. And I just think that's interesting. I wonder if she had character, like actors in mind when she wrote this. It is um, interesting. It really... Go ahead. Well, because... Uh... It because it, it was also I mean wasn't it purchased by Reese Witherspoon's company while she was still finishing the manuscript? You know what I mean? I know Reese Witherspoon wanted to star in it, so I wonder I if that, that you know really interesting. Uh, supposedly Fincher, I've read that Fincher thought she was too old, basically, which I'm sure is probably wow. true. Different. Movie. I like Reese Witherspoon a lot, but I don't think she has like Rosamund Pike. I thought was the such a good choice. And even when I watched it with Corey, who knew nothing about this movie or, or book, because she lives under a rock pop culturally, is like, as I said in my wedding vows, I was the one who broke it to her that Beatles frontman John Lennon was <laughs> killed. Um, but anyway, um, she had no, so she had no, nothing like had no preconceived notions about this movie and she was like this woman seems like she might be crazy. It's like she it's said what's that. great about it is that I mean Rosamund Pike and I kind of forget, like, did have a career before this, and she's been in plenty of big movies. She's in a James Bond movie, uh, Die Another Day, but it's like, there is something to that effect where you're like, I don't really know this actress, and I don't know this person at all, and she can do anything. Whereas, like, Mm -hmm. Reese Witherspoon is definitely, I could see her technically being able to play this kind of character, like, something like Election, you know, Mm -hmm. where even kind of Legally Blonde, where she like has the, like this crazy technical skill and she, you could see her playing both sides, especially with like the Midwestern moms that she's appealing mm-hmm. to. You're like, totally. But Rosamund Pike is so like chilly and cool. And maybe it's that she's English that she's able to like, kind of like so believably affect this like New York, like class conscious thing where she's above everything in such a way that's like scary, you know? Um, oh that's an interesting point and then she's kind of masquerading as an american but that right. probably helps her seem like she's a <laughs> right normal it's person like english person here. masquerading as an american new yorker new yorker in the in the film masquerading as a midwesterner basically <laughs> have you um have, have you have have you heard any like english people like in real life um do an american accent yeah it's so funny it's the funniest fucking thing. I, there's this guy I went, was in college with named Tom who was from England and he would, I would make him do it. And he was probably annoyed with me by the end of it, but it sounds like it would be like Matthew McConaughey or something. I'd be, he'd be like, right. could you pass me the water? Like it's so like movie, <laughs> like affect, like it's the funniest. I feel like they thing. always, I, I feel like the, my main point of reference for this is like, I guess cast members of the Harry Potter films being asked to do their American accents. And it's always like, dude, that was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's either like like uh like a leading man like mcconaughey or like macaulay culkin it's like the <laughs> point of entry right. um okay so her inception to write the book was about she wanted to write about a long-term relationship because she felt she did like the the terrain of isolation and loneliness pretty well in her previous books um sharp objects and dark places i also think i love the two she does the really she's got good titles um sharp objects dark places gone girl i like i think it's cool and they feel like they're in conversation with each other even though they're they're not um so she was a newlywed 
so this was kind of entered her her mind to write about you know newlyweds her husband's a lawyer works at a law firm in chicago as i said earlier misattributing her occupation briefly and then correcting she uh, he was very cool i guess he's a big reader and also loves mystery um about her chasing the subject matter but things she thought she said was pretty funny she had to adopt kind of the mantra don't write angry because they say i guess don't drive angry but but not to write angry because she would say she would like kind of take to the keyboard after a fight (laughs) but oh yeah and was like kind of infusing too much and i agree with that like a um I tried to write something uh, recently on my trip that was kind of about, and actually this trip was really great. Uh, but sometimes it can be tough to travel with, with the person you're with. So I kind of wanted to tap into like uh, two people who are not on the same page, um, like when they were traveling. And then as I was writing it, I'm like, I'm too close to this right now. Yeah. I feel <laughs> like, like that's the case yeah. when it's like from something happening in your life right now, it's like you write the idea down and like, look at it in a week. <laughs> exactly when you're not angry yeah 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 and it feels like you're like i'm just like trying to win an argument or something and like it's like shopping on an, shopping on an empty stomach it's a great metaphor you end up with like buffalo bites and bagel bites and although and honestly one of, my, one of my one of my one of my favorite things to do it's <laughs> i like, love you know, shopping hungry uh as i one thing i would do is uh I it was kind of goofy, but if I was hungry at the grocery store, I would buy like a banana and like a bar, and I would pay for it and eat it outside, and then come back in. Feel free to steal that. Listeners. Oh, that's very mature. That could we call that a life hack? I think oh, that might be it, a life hack. Ooh. Yeah, I guess so. Um, wow, <laughs> look at me. Um, so uh, anyway, so she asked him. I think this is funny. She asked him. He was like, she always just views her husband as her first reader and her best reader. Uh, um, so she asked him to read it right before she sent it off to the publisher to see if it felt like too close to home. And he said it all felt too close to home, but like, isn't that the point of the book? Oh yeah. Um, he cool husband. Ha- yeah. And he didn't like highlight anything. I mean, she sold like 2 million copies in a year. So I think he, he, he knows. <laughs> He's after that cheddar. <laughs> He's after that cheddar. Um, so she has a plaque in her office. I guess she she her office is in their basement or this the interview is old now because it was right when Gone Girl came out. But um, um, she has an office in her basement and the office is finished, but uh, the basement is not. So it's like very creepy. But she says she's someone who can't write in public. She needs like no distractions. But she has a plaque in that office that says leave the crazy downstairs because she felt like her writing and her subject matter is really affecting her mood. So when about 10 minutes after she's done, um, she either plays a game of Galaga or, or watches a clip from singing in the rain on YouTube to like, kind of like lighten her mood and then comes back comes. upstairs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's really, um, that's a great little tidbit from her subterranean mm-hmm. hell. of. <laughs> yeah. She calls it the hell pit. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, like I said, I thought she was really smart and funny and charming in this interview that I watched this long form interview, but anyway, so it's like a mystery of marriage and that's what, um, was really, this ended up being about, and I really liked these next few points she makes. I was like, just writing them down word for word. Cause I just thought it was really revealing. Um, so she says, there's the quote she's heard. No one knows what happens in other people's marriages. Um, it's like when someone gets a divorce or something like, Oh my God, but you don't know what was happening. Like there could be some really messed up stuff, especially like you have to keep that in mind when you see people seemingly have the perfect life. Like maybe there's a lot of tension. Maybe there's a lot of things going on. Um, but then she realizes like, what about your own marriage? Cause you know, there's an idea that father John Misty lyric from Holy shit, like no one ever knows you. Um, and it's, she kind of feels like 
with everybody we're date, we're playing this long con game with someone no matter what, because we're trying to put our best self forward. That's the saying. We're really, we're kind of lying, presenting this, this idealized version of ourselves, much like, you know, we do on the internet because we want to be liked. Um, and I really related to that. I feel like you're, it's not like a manipulative thing. I guess it is, but not really. You're just, you just, you're not intentional. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and that it's comes also self-deception. There's that quote or that line in at least the movie near the end where um, when they're back together or, or she's convincing him for them to get back together. And Nick says something to effect of like, our marriage was like us lying to each other and like, you know, mm-hmm. like trying to control each other. And she just goes, that's marriage. And he's like, it has no response. <laughs> Scary as a newlywed. Yes. Um, but uh, this is something I thought was really fascinating. Um, she was talking about, because this is, this interview was from like, right when a year after the book came out and the book came out in 2012, I believe. Right. And um, she was saying that she felt like so barraged by media, just so many different voices in her head. Uh, you never whenever something happens you know exactly what to say because you've heard it already um and i was like damn like you're like that's so like, true like for ex- i'll give you an example and if freddie if you're listening i still appreciate you saying this to me i was really upset when i found out that uh florence had needed stitches because i was like it was just such a back to reality thing because i had this beautiful saturday where i felt like a person again and it was like a beautiful day and then i in the first thing in the morning i find out like Oh no, Florence was at the hospital or whatever. Like, you know, and I was just pretty down in the dumps and Freddie just came up to me. It was like, it was like, um, kids are very resilient. And in my head, it's like, he doesn't have children. Like he clearly heard that from someone, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, uh, so, yeah, it's probably a right yeah. too, but it's just like, yeah, yeah you just repeat um, things. It's so true. And that's, I mean, this book and movie gets into that so well with the media. I even, I probably, I don't think I've told this on mic, but it's appropriate for the podcast medium. Uh, I guess this movie's kind of like ahead of the podcast boom, or at least to the point that there's no podcasting stuff in the movie, which I think is good because mm-hmm. I think podcasting stuff in movies is generally pretty annoying still. Um, what about Alex Inc., the unfulfilled pilot <laughs> with, <laughs> with Zach? Graff. I think that went to series. Uh, no one saw oh, it. Did. Yeah, yeah, that was a show. Oh, bummer. Uh, that's a shame. Uh, but uh, I, when I was single and dating and maybe like five or six years ago and just really gotten into Mark Marin deep. I remember being oh, on like a first year, so yeah, but being on a first or second date and being like 20 minutes into the conversation and just realizing that I was just asking the same questions that Mark Marin asked guests <laughs> of his podcast. Like, like she was talking about where she's from. And I was just like, what about your folks still together? Ah, oh, that's good. That's good. And I was like, Oh my God, she can't know that I'm just regurgitating podcast questions. That's so funny. I think it's hilarious. I really think it's, uh, it's pretty inside baseball, but if you went to an open mic and did that, it would just kill. <laughs> um, I've heard, uh, yeah. When people make fun of Mark Marin, although I think what the fuck is maybe like the best podcast ever. Yeah, That's uh, why it's, it's so, so fun to make funny. fun of it. Who, who are your guys? I feel like is the one that gets made oh, fun of all yeah. the time. Oh, we, t- I think we were talking about that with Leanne because of come, cause she likes come town, the podcast. Oh, right? and they probably make fun. She does. Yes. They make fun of Mike Marin a lot. And they're like, so who are your guys? <laughs> <laughs> um, but, oh no, we were talking about come down's takedown of Matilda as, and uh, Danny DeVito is the great socialist hero by rolling back odometers. Um, okay, so this next part is pretty heady. And this is a little bit what we were talking about when I was saying this is actually a good date movie. Um, 
So she likes to push against the notion that women are innately good because she feels like it robs them of a certain amount of free will. And that like when women choose to be good, it's only because of an anatomy or like neurochemistry. And she thinks that's like untrue and boring. She feels like women um, do, she likes to write women who find it really hard to do the right thing or who actively choose to do the wrong thing because she feels women are a vast array of good and evil victims and victimizers. And I, you know, I would agree with that. And I feel like that's goofy to even have to say that, that it's like, like they're people. And she was kind of saying how the human experience is wading through these complex emotions and that women are denied certain ones, like they're denied anger. Um, And she feels it within herself. She doesn't have this bloodlust or a will to kill like Amy or something, but she feels like her instinct is often to do what's selfish or what's best for her. Um, And she, 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 really taps into this i think which is why her stuff is so popular but then on the same time she gets um accusations of misogyny which i think is really weird because she's like a woman and i think it's i get really annoyed when people connect everyone i get that's like what critics do i guess i guess it's some of their function and academics do but when everyone takes attaches something to a context and doesn't evaluate it on its merits like it's crazy to me that you would you would watch gone girl and be like wow this woman thinks women are crazy and it's more like no she thinks this character she wrote a crazy character you know um not she's not categorizing all women so she says about in reference to sharp objects which she was getting critique like criticized for saying it was misogynist it was she said it's not a particularly flattering portrait of a uh, portrait of women which is fine by me. Isn't it time to acknowledge the ugly side? I've grown weary of smunky heroines, brave rape victims, soul-searching fashionistas that stock up so many books. I particularly lack the mourn of female villains, good, potent female villains. And I just think it's like things that have a feminist bent on them can also be from a place of malevolence because that fulfills a cathartic need. Like, and this is a really big rant and I want to hear what you have to say, but I know like I have black friends who don't want to watch like 12 years a slave they want to watch movies where like the black characters are also getting to misbehave in all the same myriad ways that white characters do like for example like pulp fiction you and i like a lot they're hitmen obviously one's a you know a black character but in general like a lot of things that i really like are people misbehaving you know totally yeah yeah i want unlikable people because because you know and we've talked about this it's like what's i feel like people can conflate likability and relatability often you know Mm -hmm. which like a movie doesn't need either i think movie or novel like but those aren't the same thing like sorry i don't relate to someone i like i relate to someone (laughs) who's terrible in ways that i feel about myself you know um Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I do. I also think I have a couple of quotes too that I came upon in a, an essay about the movie that are kind of similar to what you were uh, your Gillian Flynn quotes. But it's it's it is kind of what makes it interesting too. Like there is a well, I definitely don't think it like I don't think the movie that she's a misogynist, but it is like the push and pull of like it's exciting to watch something and be like, does this hate women? That would be crazy, you know? And then it pushes back and it's kind of like this like prurient thrill almost. But mm-hmm. I, I thought this was funny. That. That this was a, a, a quote from a piece on, I think the book from in Vulture from Amanda Dobbins, who has a podcast I like very much as well. Amanda um, Dobbins. Oh, wait, she's from Amanda Dobbins of the big picture. Yeah, yes. I like her as well. Um, and I wasn't expecting to see a quote from her in this piece, but she wondered whether Gone Girl was a a gothic portrait of marriage b a confession of a mythically unstable woman c a misandrous revenge revenge fantasy 
or D, a misogynistic summary of all the ways that a woman can falsely accuse a man. And it's kind of cool because it's like all those things and none of them, you know, mm-hmm. and it's really interesting. But I also saw I have this quote from from Gillian Flynn kind of similarly about about Gone Girl and in, uh, in The Guardian about accusations of it being bad for feminism. And she says, the one thing that frustrates me is this idea that women are innately good, innately nurturing. To me, that puts a very, very small window on what feminism is. For me, it's also the ability to have women who are bad characters. There's still a big pushback against the idea that women can just be pragmatically evil. You can also cut that out if it's too sammy from what you said. Um, no, but it's, it's like it's such an interesting viewpoint. And yeah, I mean, I, I certainly, I'm sure there are, you know, um, angles, you know, from a feminist point of view on how maybe the movie is misogynist in certain ways, and the book, I keep just referring to the movie. Um, but, it, you know, I mean, it certainly seems like it's coming from an authentic place from her, from wanting to see these interesting you know, female characters in ways that we often don't anymore. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm, I think we're in agreement here. It just, it, for me, I get frustrated because it's like, it's just everything I already said, but it's also like, okay, um, I just don't know why we can't, we can't look at things for what they are at face value um, instead of like having to like figure out where like kind of like this um, scale, right? Of like, is it this? Is it that? It's like kind of what you're saying. Right. It's all those things and nothing. And then at the same time, I don't know, I guess, and maybe because something that is so popular like this gets a lot of attention, but it's like, to me, this is not high art. This is just awesome entertainment. So Mm -hmm. it's like, can't you just be entertained by something? Even if, even if you want to say, okay, this is bad. Like, can't we just still be entertained by it? Similar to like reality TV or like whatever you want. Can we just be entertained and enthralled by this and just enjoy it? Even if it is bad in theory, um, it's not like, cause it's not like something I feel like we go to, to like, it's something I just, there's the difference between art and entertainment, I think. So just for me, it's like, I feel like art is and this is, it blurs the line. Cause yeah, it's David Fincher and it's amazing. And I do think the book has craft and all those things. And I'm contradicting myself with every point, but it's just kind of like, it doesn't need to be under this much of a microscope. Like, can we just enjoy it or don't enjoy it? Like, why do yeah, we have pe- to like Put people do love to be it. like i mean like i get it with this because it was such a big book and among women and so it's like you're kind of like what is people love to just be like what does this mean that women like this book and this <laughs> character and it's like do they like do you know they like the character and i think some people are obsessed with the idea that women like relate to her or like actually mm-hmm. think she's like cool and it's like i don't know that's kind of a bad faith reading of people liking enjoying a book you know totally like it, it doesn't mean like you can read this book and enjoy it without being like amazing amy fucking girl bossing it <laughs> you know like amazing that's not what that means is my i'm sure some animal. people yeah i'm sure some yeah. people do feel that way um i do think like... oh go ahead no no, no. that's all that's oh oh he's frozen the last thing i i said was about was trashing ben affleck what did you hear you, you last i heard was uh that this is his best role because ben affleck and then i really thought you were building up to a point and then i was like no he's just actually not moving Oh, bummer. Um, I don't know if we'll, I'm repeating it. We'll have to, I'll just come through the audio later. But I just think Ben Affleck is generally unlikable in stuff, but he's great. So it's, see, it's yeah, seeing him get fucked perfect. by. Yeah. So I think like we it's can so say. so perfect. 
yeah, it's just great. Like Rosamund Pike, like, yeah, she's girl bossing it because she gets to fuck with Ben Affleck, who's like the he's the perfect person to be Nick and get fucked with. Oh, it's incredible. Do we wanna? I mean, this is like the whole movie. Do we wanna go uh go through Fincher and then get into the movie? Yeah, let's do that. Okay, yeah, yeah. Put, putting a pin in Ben Affleck being <laughs> the most hateable man alive in a great way. Oh, he's so good. Yeah, I, I just I uh with Fincher, it's one of those things where it's like, God, I know the little details and kind of mythologized version of his life so well. Just like in college, like rereading probably his IMDb trivia page over and over again or something like that. Um, but hey, we love him. So he's born in Denver <laughs> uh, in 1962. Same year as my mom. Coincidence? I don't know. Uh, Wait, is she born in Denver? No, but in 1962, I guess it did. Uh, like I, said. I well, feel like a lot of my heroes were born the same year as my mom, which I guess just makes sense math wise. Um, <laughs> but I, I do. What year was your that. dad born in? My dad was born in 59, which I believe one of the older Cohen brother was born then or perhaps the younger one. So I always oh. doing that. My math. parents are a little older than yours. My parents were born in 55, 56. There you go. Good years. Strong. Um but yeah, he was born in Denver and moved to the Bay Area. His dad, Jack, was a journalist, was a bureau chief for Life magazine, and was kind of like, you know, maybe a screenwriting hobbyist because he he wrote Mank, 2020's Mank, Fincher's most recent film, I believe when he was, before Fincher even became a filmmaker. So he was kind of definitely like got Fincher into movies um, and I imagine to a certain degree writing, even though Fincher's not a writer. But um then they moved to Oregon, where Fincher worked as a projectionist and as a PA for local news stations. And he was initially inspired to think about people making movies by a behind-the-scenes documentary about Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid, which is one of his favorite movies. Um, so yeah, he started working at ILM and was a matte um, illustrator and like effects camera operator um, for Return of the Jedi and Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. And I think specifically, I know for Return of the Jedi, he worked on the famous um, speed biker chase in the, in the, on the forest moon um, around the Ewoks, you know, which I always remember for like the arcade video game where you got to ride the speed bike. I don't know if you ever played that. Um, I haven't, um, but big, now I'm intrigued. Um, so yeah, then from there he started, you know, working in advertising and his the thing that kind of made his name was an American Cancer Society ad that depicted uh, an ultrasound of a fetus and the fetus was smoking a cigarette in the womb. Pretty badass, fucked up way to, you know, <laughs> kickstart that reputation of his. And he was, yeah, he was kind of the, I mean, he's kind of the face of that age of music video and commercial directors that, you know, made their names in those mediums and then segued into Hollywood filmmaking, which is very much not a thing anymore. Really, like the closest analog I can think of that happening currently are, are the Daniels who, you know, made Swiss Army Man, but then really broke through this year with everything everywhere all at once. But there's just like not money in music videos anymore. And commercials wise, it feels more like the reverse where a lot of big directors go there to make their money in between movies. Like I know James Gray directs a lot of kind of anonymous seeming commercials and um, Bennett Miller, oh. who, who hasn't made a movie in like eight years, directs random ads, and that's just how they stay afloat. Um, but back then, he was kind of part of this like cohort of, of filmmakers who were making ads and music videos, founded uh, <laughs> a production company uh, called, fittingly, Propaganda Films, which is hilarious to be making <laughs> advertising. Uh, Big fan and of a ton uh, of directors. Uh, 
<laughs> and a ton of a ton of uh, famous directors worked for this company. You know, director Michael Bay, who's the kind of the other big like music video commercial director who you know made it. Michael Bay, uh-huh. Michelle Gondry, Spike Jones, Gore Verbinski, That's... Mark Romanek, and even David. What Lynch. did um, um, What did Bay direct? Because it seems like it's he does he's like so. It's hard to imagine him directing anything that's not like the Transformers. Do you, you know, do you I guess, don't like, know, but I do. <laughs> probably some hip hop stuff. I actually don't know, but I'm just thinking like, you know, the camera spinning around Will Smith and Martin Lawrence. And that does feel like a music video kind of thing. Um, oh, I didn't even realize he directed Bad Boys. I'm ignorant. Mm-hmm. Uh, no. Um, but yeah. And then <laughs> no. so in addition to that, he Fincher like made a ton of music videos for famous you know, artists, Aerosmith, the Rolling Stones, George Michael, and most famously Madonna. He did the Vogue music video, among many other things. Uh, there is like, there are rumors that they dated. There was some long form piece about it around when Mank came out, came out like looking for clues as to it, whether or not they dated, um, which is just a very cool thing. But I've seen, I mean, he still will make cool Directed a great NFL, probably Nike actually video is set in the NFL. That's one of the coolest commercials. But some of his ads from back then, I watched this Charles Barkley Nike ad that's shot like a Bubsy Berkeley musical, all in black and white, and with like dancers lining up, and it's just so cool. Interesting. Um, and it's kind of it's such a so perfect for him because he seems like this incredibly cynical guy when it comes to systems and money. And yet from the start, he, you know, he's working in advertising and even still he's making these, he's playing in the system because like in order to make his movies, he needs a lot of money. So he Mm -hmm. has to find a way to like have that push pull. Really interesting. So then his first movie is Alien 3, which he was only 29 when he made kind of a famous debacle, you know, following up one of the great sequels to one of the great, you know, sci-fi movies and entrusted to this kid that it seems like the industry was kind of like looking askance at like oh you direct music videos and commercials and you think you're like this punk kid well how about you like wrangle this huge (laughs) you know i'm sure they shot at like pinewood studios in england anyway like famously like was a mess and he argued with fox at every step along the way and they re-edited the movie and he disowns it and this is the last venture movie i had seen until just last year it's pretty cool like it's it, it's like kind of a mess but it's, it has his like worldview and like visually it's so grimy and dark in a cool way where you can totally see it but then like you know four years later he makes seven and that's what like makes him a name in feature filmmaking it's a big hit it's like beloved critically it's got this famously dark twist that's like hidden to famous mm-hmm. twist and then a famously dark ending what is in the box um and that kind <laughs> of like box. And the movie is also, it's like about per, like this process where Morgan Freeman's like, we collect the details. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what Fincher's whole thing would become as a filmmaker. But anyway, it kind of, you know, cements his reputation as the serial killer guy, whether that's accurate <laughs> or not. Um, Another serial, oh yeah, Zodiac. And then- Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Mm. And then Mindhunter. Um, Mindhunter was so good. R.I.P. So good. And then, I mean, even this, you know, she's not a serial killer. She's a killer. Um, she does kill spoiler alert she does she does kill his actually and he has a new movie coming out this year or next year with michael fassbender called the killer uh um, maybe is the so kill. at this <laughs> point he's <laughs> he's leaning into it uh but then he makes the game which i really like and that's kind of a fancy wait he fancy. made the hip-hop artist the game 
Like he constructed he created him. him. He's a he robot. He was born a man. The, the game was never a baby. No one knows this. David Fincher made the Have you game seen that? Have you seen that SNL skit of Will Ferrell being born as a man? It's the dumbest thing. It's, it's like really he just is like, I think Rachel Dratch gives birth to him and he just comes out and he's like, has a mustache and he's like holding the umbilical cord and he's like, it was hot in there. <laughs> Perfect person to be born a man, just a six-three hairy guy. Um, but the the game, which I feel like, even despite being added to the Criterion Collection, feels like kind of a movie that's lost in his filmography. Even though it's set in San Francisco, it's like playing with thriller aspects. But it, I kind of thought of it while watching this movie because it's so literally about these like control freaks where Mm. michael douglas has this entire world presented to him that's fake but it's so fake that he has to then assume it's real almost like the way the media takes amy's story in this um love that movie but anyway so seven's a big enough hit that he can go back to fox after alien 3 and make fight club with them which is again just a huge failure so those fuckers must hate him at fox oh it's a failure big failure big failure critically and commercially Kind of like, like the big Lebowski. Cult. It's exactly. like the cult movie for people who don't actually like movies. Can I say it's, that? It's so true. Yeah, I think like, that's true. We can hate. We can hate on anyone who has a Fight Club poster. The thing is about Seven, and then we should talk about this at the end so we don't get derailed. Okay, so Seven and Fight Club are very fun movies. I don't think they're good, but I like them. You know, like oh, they're really, s- they're so fun. But like, I don't think they're deep. Is what I'm saying. I think Seven is I think- really fun. I think it's a very, very fun movie, but I don't think it's I like... Think, oh, go ahead. I get what you're saying about Seven. I do think it's pretty great, but Fight Club, I think it is deep, but just not in the way that everyone who enjoys it but I think, thinks it is, you know? But I feel like, and this is interesting, and then if it, if, if you're into talking about this, let's go for it then. But, um, but Fight Club, I feel like, is does the thing, and this is not an original take I have, but I, I do agree that there are parts of a Fight Club that are deep about consumerism, about um, men not having a community and like finding a community in this crazy, absurd way. But I think the, and I, I think Helena Bonham Carter and, and uh, is amazing casting and there's that really fun chemistry. But the thing I think is, is weird with, it because fincher is so exacting is that i do think the twist is not fair they do a number of things that trick the audience that trick the viewer right and um so i and i i think ultimately once you see it once it's just not because then when you know when a twist is coming you get to rewatch the movie and see how you were tricked but he Mm. tricks you in an unfair way so ultimately i think it really harms the movie that's my take i get that i get that and i think the movie's twist is like that in a fuck you way like a kind of punk way but then i do think that kind of yeah i I don't disagree because i do think to me a lot of the movie is making fun of like the idea of these men and like Mm -hmm. how they're not actually committed to their ideals in a real way and like everyone watches it and it's like that's how i want to (laughs) be i don't feel like the movie thinks that but then also the twist having a like similarly like fuck you attitude kind of derails the whole thing i do think we'll get to it but i do think this knowing i mean i read the book before i saw this movie this is an unfair twist in certain ways i think it works so well even knowing it in gone girl um oh yeah but no but i think why do what ways do you think this twist is unfair I mean, well, I, I don't think it is because it, it works and it's using a framework and like how we 
use cinema in certain ways, but you it it just it shows you things happening that are untrue. Okay. And that like, like and that is being... that didn't happen. Yes. But though I will say, isn't it it's showing you things that didn't happen, but when it's doing that, it's using um it's using the epistolary nature. Mm-hmm. It, well, it's, it's using her yeah. narration. So then it's like it's like we're we're learning that both of these characters are unreliable narrators. Nick has a Nick has um, is cheating on Amy, and Amy is seriously is is plotting to frame him for her murder. Um, but it, I feel like it's to me. I think the twist is fair because when you rewatch it and you're learning about this unsavory stuff about Nick that doesn't seem to make sense, it's always through Amy's lens. It's not through the viewer's lens, if that makes sense. It's so true. And you don't even get the first person Affleck in the same way you do with her, you know, like mm-hmm. we're never really inside his head the way you kind of get to be in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, it's true. It's great. I just, yeah, no, I, you're totally right. That's the difference. She's not a reliable narrator in a literal sense because she's narrating it while she writes it in her diary, you know? Mm-hmm. So we know the diary is real, but even the way the flashbacks are shot, you're kind of wondering, even the beginnings of their relationship, which are true, mm-hmm. have a kind of unreality to them and you're yeah exactly it works is what i'm saying um but i don't so, disagree about fight club either well no but you think i think that's a good take about fight club as well because i actually haven't seen it in a long time but i i've seen it a few times and i used i really liked it as a high school boy for the reasons you're describing of being like yeah like you know like burn down your apartment <laughs> which, like which i think um, that is part of it but that's kind of the whole fincher thing is like yeah he believed in these things but like dude how much money did it did it cost for you to shoot this montage of edward norton flying all over the place looking for tyler Durden? you know mm-hmm. like you are part of the machine and i think he knows that and is also making fun of both sides okay whereas it's kind of taken yeah when we we're younger as like a face value tyler durden is so right kind of way which Mm. i don't think the movie thinks okay Um, that's interesting and i think seven is like i've heard this criticism it feels like it's taking place in gotham oh totally it's not (laughs) a city that exists which i I think is very well done that's the point i'd make because i think people who think that though are sort of missing the forest for the trees like i think it's like you're it's like you're watching a graphic novel and it's and it's like i mean it's so intentionally that it's yeah. not named it had takes pieces of many different cities the like the worst pieces is it seattle is it downtown la because mm-hmm. they go to the desert is it new york it's almost like how springfield on the simpsons could be in any different state and that's why it's great mm-hmm. um it's hell um, yeah it's it's and it i think it's like yeah morgan freeman is kind of like a little bit of a hack character like the grizzled cop who's seen too much or whatever yeah. and then brad pitt is like the young buck raring to go but like it's super fun and they they have good chemistry as scene partners and then my one also critique of seven and it's funny because it's fincher as well is that i'm confused by this is that they have no leads they like check out who bought these books at the library similar to zodiac actually and then they just immediately find him yeah (laughs) and then he shoots at them but i do think he you could say he he wants to be found i guess that's true that's a good point right i i do think brad pitt love him and he's fun in it but i do think you're like whoa you are not there yet brad pitt and you're, not, you're fully you're too hot you're, right now you're not fully yeah. formed yeah it's like he has to mature as an actor and get a lot of because he was just too hot you know yeah, it's true oh you mean yeah. not attractive yes yeah, yeah he's like just too hot and then that's why he was in things probably at his but then he like he eventually matures into like yeah being such a he's like i sucks because he's also getting um some bad press right now um and uh, that's a bummer because I feel like he's like very cool. 
he's a great actor yeah yeah absolutely very cool um but anyway uh we can speak i mean we know david fisher's career does panic room next which is like really cool kind of a strictly style exercise and a huge hit but then six years i think six years after that it takes him before he makes zodiac which we all know now you know know is revered and everything but its release was delayed it was going to be positioned as an award season release it's pushed to the beginning of the next year falls flat no one sees it um kind of instantly reclaimed as actually being actually good quote unquote um <laughs> but then after that it's like they do it again with benjamin button which even though that movie is not particularly well received critically it is a huge hit and is like the, his first big oscar movie and then all of a sudden it's like oh the guy who like wants to quote unquote scar you with his movies like he said about seven is now making these tony forrest gump like you know uh <laughs> fables that get nominated for all the oscars i did rewatch this recently and it's way better than i remembered like parts don't work and obviously a lot of it is just the impressiveness of the effects but some of the filmmaking is just so good and cool and really moving well, we um, should do, we could do that one if we wanted. Definitely to we should. Scott Fitzgerald. Fitzgerald I've not know. read the story. Um, I haven't then either, with, Have you seen the movie? I have seen the movie, yeah. yeah. Uh, but then with Social Network in 2010, it's like, oh, he's now like, this is our American chronicler making like these great 70s-like movies. And this, I mean, that movie is pr- basically like the consensus best movie of the 2010s. Like, I don't necessarily think that, but it's just crazy that the guy who's kind of had this punk attitude working in music mm-hmm. videos and advertising kind of makes this glossy, terrific movie about quote unquote, I keep saying quote unquote, how we live now. Uh, and it is that gets nominated for a bunch of Oscars. She doesn't win, which is lame, but. do you Which do you like more Zodiac or The Social Network? I like Zodiac more, um, but so. The Social Network is one of those movies that it's like, you're like, yeah, it's perfect. <laughs> like, I can't, I can't disagree, you know, like, oh, it's, and I, oh, go ahead. I mean, it's just, I, it's great. It, it's it, I mean, it's also, it's also interesting because Aaron Sorkin wins, is the one who wins the Oscar for that. And I, it's one of those perfect examples where it's like Aaron Sorkin's impressive. I kind of think this movie might suck if anyone else directed it. Like, yeah. I don't think anyone else gets those performances out of that. The, the way it all comes together. It's a really good movie um yeah that's interesting i feel like people love i do think though people sit make that consensus is the best movie of the 2010s because um i feel like it's because we're now in the age of social media and it feels like it's less about and maybe that's a a positive for it it's less about the actual film and more about the era we live in now you know it was one of those things yeah where it's like even now it's like whoa this movie was even more right about how important facebook is in ways that it couldn't know um whereas i feel like well zodiac for me is like it has very little to do with the time in which it was made it but it's it's just it's so good like it's just such a good fucking movie it's way better than social network in my opinion i agree it's so um, creepy with the music and the jake Hall is so good in it and robert downey jr and then uh i've just i said to you before it's fucking it's 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 not real like it's not people who love that movie should like really look into it because like anyone right. who's into the zodiac like myself knows that like arthur lee allen very clearly didn't do it right, right. Uh, <laughs> but um because he just and he was just like a pedophile so he uh pretended in later years that maybe he was the zodiac so people would leave him the fuck alone um but and then apparently jake gyllenhaal's character robert graysmith tried to pin it all on someone else like the year earlier 
Right, right. And he's <laughs> since come out with other ideas. Yeah. But yeah, I like and... that because also the movie's like about that kind of, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but yeah, anyway, after uh like just speed through this girl with the dragon tattoo, huge follow-up to the social network, definitely a similar thing to Gone Girl, where he's like, How can I take this incredibly popular intellectual property that's not about superheroes and get people <laughs> to give me a lot of money to make an adult entertainment and have something repeating with big actors? Um feels like very and I, feel, I mean that movie like Todd Phillips probably steals this totally pincher trying to shoehorn that in. Yeah. It's so true. And it's like, I mean, that's kind of what everyone says they try to do, but in that movie did make money and was liked and, you know, Rooney Mars nominated for an Oscar, but it kind of was seen as a disappointment in the wake of the social network and financially with how much money it made, which is kind of what's cool about gone girl is that he's kind of going back to the same well in that idea of taking this seemingly trashy beach read that everyone loves. And this was an enormous hit, like mm-hmm. his most successful movie, I believe by far. And yeah, I think it had almost 400, uh, 400 million worldwide. worldwide. Yeah, and like 270 domestic. And But it's interesting because it still kind of has... I'm assuming it's because it's, it's this trashy reputation. Only Rosamund Pike's nominated for an Oscar. Like these things don't matter, but it was positioned as an awards thing, you know, like his previous three movies were... She's the only one who gets the attention because I mean, you know, maybe, maybe slicing Neil Patrick Harris's throat on a bed just too much. Uh, <laughs> uh, another interesting Great thing genius. about Fincher is that he's been married to, um, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, her name, Seon Schaffen, um, but she produces all of his movies and has since the game. Weirdly, if we want to get into some, speaking of trash, media and gossip, his first wife, who he, the mother of his one child, was a model and photographer who then after him married Gary Oldman and had several kids with Gary Oldman. And Gary Oldman is accused of, you know, at one point kind of committing domestic violence against her. Um, but then her kids and David Fincher's kid, uh, her kids with Oldman and her kid with, with David Fincher seem to like hang out. And then Gary Oldman's in Mank. It's kind of mm-hmm. like, whoa, I don't even want to know what's going on with this oh. like, family. It's kind of like fucked the, up and weird. Yeah. Kind of like the Mara Rooney stuff that you heard, <laughs> that gossip you heard. Um, Cause I guess she was what, what's now that I brought it up, you have to give a quick synopsis, but uh, what was that? I actually, I actually don't remember what you're talking about. I thought Kate Mara was dating the your neighbor who's in the social network. Oh, and I think, I, I think you meant now Rooney she's Mara. with. Sorry, I right. think I might have said that. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. If my neighbor <laughs> Max Miguel is listening to this, what's up, bro? Let's take a walk around the reservoir. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah uh, I'm, I'm neighbors with Max Miguel, who's in the social network. In the so- uh, very good in the social network. As he's well. he's great. Yeah, no, I really like him as an actor. He's got a beautiful dog. Um, and uh, he dated Kate Mara for a long time. He's friends with the actor Jamie Bell best friends i believe and now jamie bell and kate mara are married and have a kid and i found this out and then i like tried to look, find interviews about it because i do sometimes see jamie bell and kate mara in the neighborhood as well turns out the three of them are still all best friends very cool go on walks together i'm like don't know how that how kate made, <laughs> made the switch but uh good for them kind of a moving uh yeah okay that's not nearly as bad i forgot because yeah I no, yeah there was not something too, not- more I didn't have any salacious details, uh, oh, okay. but that's cool. Well, sorry uh, to hear that about, about it. I think I remember reading about that as well. It was like very confusing. It's like, yeah. Um, and who knows, you know, um, 
yeah that's a shame um but anyway the show yeah. must go on um the show must go on, show must go on our show talked but, so um, much about fincher uh no, you know it's funny He's i think famously... we were joking we were like we're not going to go over two hours this time and i think we might but that's i'm cool with it continue maybe not we got we got time <laughs> uh but yeah no and it's you know I mean, we. this is kind of so a part of this movie too, um, as we mentioned before, but Fincher is just, I feel like this is probably blown out of proportion, is a famous perfectionist, which is certainly mm-hmm. evident in his movies in the visual style and the accumulation of details and something like Zodiac, like the opening 20 minutes of Zodiac, where it's going between all the different people investigating it and all the locations, and yet it runs along so smoothly. Really incredible. Mm-hmm. But well, you know, that, he gets- um, his- Oh, sorry. Um- I think that is Fincher's aesthetic in a nutshell that he does better than anyone. I don't know if he invented it or whatever, but I had this note in my notes and the movies he makes have so much forward momentum and there's a plot point that comes into next scene. Guess what? We're, we're in a new location now talking about it. And then we're in a new location and it feels very organic and the pacing and the rhythm of it. It's like you're riveted and it's very, it just, that's where I feel like Fincher for me is like, is second to none. Especially with process. And I think I I had this in the notes, something that I've seen him do elsewhere before this, but not as heavily until now. And it's something I noticed in Mindhunter as well, which comes after this, is the way this movie cuts to point of view shots that are already in motion in a way that doesn't feel jarring but it feels like it's moving at almost like the speed of thought you know really helps push that forward like especially when they're first when the cops are with um nick and they're walking around his house looking at things you know like the, he'll see them put a sticky note and then you see him see it and then it cuts to the push in that's already pushing in whereas normally you would cut to the shot then push in or it's already got this perfectly you know i think he stabilizes all of his shots and posts now so they're impossibly smooth where it's already got this tilt that's just moving you know and mm-hmm. it just there's that yeah it just feels like you are moving with the thoughts of the character in ways that like you're saying propels it along that I think this movie is so good at. Yeah. Cause then it's also, I didn't even consider that element of it, but yeah, it feels like it's like, it's um, the subtext is also moving along, you know, (laughs) it's like the plot is moving, but then also the subtext of what's beneath the plot is all is moving at the same speed, which is pretty. It's so true. And it's like, yeah, with his perfectionism, I know, we can get into this more with some, you know, the other movies, like he gets a bad rap because, you know, the story is, Oh, the first thing in the social network took 99 takes and everyone's like, that's not necessary. You can't be a jerk like that. But everyone who worked on the social network seemed to enjoy it. You know, he's where, you know, mm-hmm. Daniel Craig liked working on girl, uh, girl with a dragon tattoo. Rooney Mars worked with him several times. Brad Pitt, almost all of his crew, you know, his significant crew members over the past 15 years are the same. Yeah. And it's like, I'm sure he finds people who want to do the same amount of work. And initially in the press, he was kind of, you know, you could tell he's kind of trying to sound like to be a bad boy. Like there are a few quotes mm-hmm. he that I feel like I knew like the whole time, like th- this one, people will say there are a million ways to shoot a scene, but I don't think so. I think there are two, maybe. And the other one is wrong. It's like, okay, we get it. You know how to position yourself as this Kubrickian, like yeah, smart right. aleck perfectionist. But then recently, like when Mank came out, he's more talking about that being like the idea. And he'll, you know, he says, I get it quote unquote he's obviously a perfectionist no there's just a difference between mediocre and acceptable and him just kind of not wanting to have his name on something that everyone hasn't worked really hard at 
Um, I think that's fair because I think for me, it's like uh, if it turns into like, for example, Kubrick, as we talked about, I don't know. Did we talk about this? Like, I think he's like, he had two things he said. One of them, he basically says he had so many takes because actors don't know their lines, which is hilarious. Um, But also I think like he like was playing, like he was very mean to Shelley Duvall. And right, was right. he like trying to be that way to get the best out of her performance? I don't think that matters. I think that's like not cool. I it's think that's giving him too much credit. Exactly. Yeah. And it's then like, I, does that matter? Yeah. yeah. It's like, I just don't buy it and I don't like it. Um, whereas Fincher, it's like, and I don't know what he's like, if he's like verbally abusive on set, who knows? But it's like, as long as he's telling people what they're signing up for, if you're like, look, this is how I roll. We're doing it till we get it right. I've done 99 takes. You know that going in, say yes or no. It's like, as and you can't like that's what he does so either don't do the movie if you don't want to do that right and certainly now that's it's so part of his story in kind of an annoying way that you wouldn't yeah you wouldn't sign up for it not knowing i think zodiac feels like the last one where people were like fuck this like i know <laughs> we can cover that then but all three of those main actors have hilarious quotes about uh oh joan hall right the, about being a color joan hall one is hilarious where he's like you realize he's painting a larger canvas with all these different colors and yeah, it's not easy to be a color which is just <laughs> so funny well, um, question for you tanner is okay so um if you're an actor right would you rather be in something that's would you rather have a I don't, this is so dumb to even ask, but I'm trying to figure out a phrase. It's like, would you rather be in something that's really good, that was exhausting to make, that you didn't get paid as much for, or would you rather be like the main dude in something and that's like a very fun movie and does it and is fine? What would you like? Yeah, I mean, I'd like to say the former, but I don't know. Yeah. It's fun to say the former, but I don't know. And like, there are plenty of great movies that only do a few, like Clint Eastwood famously only has a few takes and Woody Allen, like, it depends on the filmmaker, you know, and whoever that everyone needs their own process as long as they're not, you know, fucking with other people. And I think he said that, like, especially with that famous social network opening scene, he needs them to say it so many times because by the end, they're so exhausted. They can't help but sound like fully real. Um, well, yeah. And I think I'll say this too, as someone who's directed something, it's like, you can, I learned this in my first film, you can't give another, you can't give an actor a line reading and it's not because actors will get offended and some of them do. Right. But it's because everyone, you know, when you listen to this recording back, you sound different than you sound right now. Right. That's a great point. So it's, it's more like it just doesn't, I had this moment on my first film ghosted where my friend, Mike, who was playing a role said something really funny. He would, the line was, don't you believe in love at first sight or rather first swipe and he said swipe just like that and i tried to say to him like no say it like that and then i was giving him these line readings and he was like i don't hear this difference and then and then i was like fuck he just doesn't get so you can't do that but what you can do which i did later in the film was i had i i liked when people said delivered lines a certain way and actors liked i was just like just just do that again they'd be like like what i'm like how you said it before and then they'd be like being confused and granted we none of us were professionals but I would just make them do the takes over and over until they did what I wanted. Like, not because I, I wasn't saying do it. Like I tried saying it, do it like this. You were giving like, them the room to get there on their yeah, own. Get there yeah. on their own. And then I had a bunch of stuff. I had stuff they did that was their idea. I had stuff that was my idea. So if you, if you get 10 takes, you get 15 takes. It's, it's can be a little bit grueling, but you have so much more to work with and post and I don't know. I think for at least for someone like me who is still an amateur at that point and still am, it's like you have your you've covered your ass, you know, and, and no, it's it, like, do you want to make a great film or do you want the actors to like you? 
Totally. Yeah, exactly. And if they want to make a great film, maybe they'll like you too, which is kind of seems like where this Fincher thing has ended up. I do think it's so like minor, but maybe the best scene in the movie somehow, I don't think this is actually true. Tanner Bolt throwing gummy bears at him, like just (laughs) until he sounds normal is so good and funny and like watching him torture Ben Affleck and then ending with the pure cinema of Carrie Coon throwing one at him and him catching it in his mouth and saying thank you without missing a beat I was just (laughs) I feel like uh, my like body exploded watching this last night when that happened I was like why is this so good it is Um, great it's in the book except it's Tanner Bolt's wife doing that um but oh i didn't remember that That's yeah really no it's great i'm picturing though like ben affleck like with a like a having a stomach ache because he's eaten too many that's there's I, a quote on uh from fincher on this movie specifically uh from the commentary which i listened to a while ago but not for this uh <laughs> basically being like i feel so bad for anyone who eats in my movies because we're gonna shoot so many takes and it was a scene when carrie coon's eating french fries and he's like she probably ate like five pounds of french fries <laughs> I, I made a uh, for my motion picture production class in college. I made the real world Burlington, um, and it's I've, some parts of it are really funny. Some parts of it are it was so long and dumb and terrible filmmaking for most of it. But there's some funny parts, and I know I only knew a couple actors, so I cast friends. And there's this one dude I knew named Nima who was super shy, and I just got him last minute, and I made his character a mute who liked candy. So he didn't have to act So in every scene. All he did was eat candy. And he was like laying on his side by the end of the day, just like having eaten. So much candy. <laughs> that is so funny. Um, yeah. I can't imagine doing that. That seems stressful. Uh, let's get into the, you know, the movie. Um, we've already okay. talked about the, the casting. Oh, Great casting. So good. Tell me what it, you think about this. Um, I at first I thought the do you know the actor's name who plays Margot? Carrie Coon. Okay. Oh wait, what else was she in? Because you were just saying her name. Uh, the Leftovers. Um, I mean she's in a ton of stuff. The Post. She's a great actress. Married to Tracy Letts. Um, okay. Um, Fargo is, season three. Okay. Um, no, yeah, I think you were just talking about it in the context of Gone Girl. Um, realizing, but um, because I didn't know who um her. I, you said Carrie Coon a few times. And I was like, oh, I'm not sure who that is. But anyway, um. She, the first time I watched this, I was like, thought she was a little bit like uh, me, just like 5% too much. And then I rewatched it and I was like, two things it did. It reminded me of first, it it reminded me of Rooney Mara's performance in the social network a little bit. That's um, really interesting because I feel like she, it's on, there's certain characters like, cause Nick is such a buffoon in a way, like, ah, my wife's missing uh, a little bit, like not buffoon, but he's like, he's bumbling a bit and, and flubbing his lines and getting himself into more and more trouble. Like somebody needs to react and be like, fuck, this is bad, you know? Um, and she, it feels like all of the pressure to do that is on her character throughout the film. The first time I watched it, I was kind of like, this is 5% too much. And then I was rewatching, I'm like, no, this is good. Like, this is, this is a good performance. You and need this, this. You need this. It's like the emotional engine of the film. I actually feel the same way. Like I, this was the first time I saw, well, that's not true. I must've watched some of the leftovers, but this is the first time I like knew who she was. And even rewatching it at like the beginning scenes when they have the like rat-a-tat brother, sister, twin dialogue near the beginning, I'm like, is she too much? But then you like settle into it really quickly. And especially when things get like, yeah, where she's like his, you know, who he can talk to um, and then betrays by not telling 
mm-hmm. her about his affair. Uh, no, she's she's terrific. Um, I will say though too, I know a couple Margos. None of them go by Go, and that's it, something I feel it's like, like is, too cute. I agree. I don't yeah. like it. Yeah, I, did, like, I really didn't like it in the book because you read the word Go over and over again, and you're just like. No, what? Come on. Yeah, <laughs> Come on. like it's like it's like in Marvel movies when they give each other nicknames. I'm like, I get that you think that's real, but I cannot sanction the Scarlet Witch referring to Vision, the <laughs> robot, as Viz. Like, kill yourself. That's so <laughs> embarrassing to me. Come on, Viz. Um, and that's that's how I feel. Yeah, every time they say go, and I was watching it with my with my girlfriend, and she was like, "What's her name?" And I was like, "I think it's short for Margot." <laughs> well, in this same way, this is what it's doing as well. Okay, so this is another critique of the writing. So remember that anecdote I had uh, about um, Mike, my friend, jabbing me because he was like, "It's almost as if we were written by the same car- uh, writer," like because I was writing something that felt very contrived. Is like. This it actually works in the film because the character who plays um Bonnie has a good line delivery. I think she's a good actor. Um, she's really good. But um in the book, he's like being like, We na- we oh, we bought a bar and we named it the bar. We loved it because it was very meta. We're not sure if people get it, but like it's meta and like we're we're like cool. And then right away, like then like a paragraph later, Bonnie's like, Oh, you like the bar? That's I love that name, very meta. You know, it's, and it's like, what? <laughs> but in the in the movie, it works because you feel like it's undercutting that almost. Like, yeah, I, he doesn't I also say that he doesn't yeah. lead to being like we we got it because of this. Isn't that meta? Yeah, um, it's so good at that. Uh, yeah, I, I uh, another one is the God. Anytime they cut away from Affleck and they're just with the cops, it's so funny. Like when um uh they when they're at when they're asking him uh questions about his wife and he's like i don't know and uh and and then the, <laughs> he's like what's her blood type and he's like i don't know oh and then they're like you don't know your own wife's blood type my girlfriend and i turn to each other and we're like we don't know our own blood types and then i he don't know like, either and then he leaves the room and and the other cop goes there and he's like i know my wife's blood type and she's like no of course not <laughs> so funny or even some of the earlier flashback scenes to their meet cute which are charming because they're so charming are also like a little false and annoying in the Mm -hmm. like identifying hipsters kind of way but it works because it's like even though it's supposedly this those parts are real and did happen it's her memorializing they're like perfectly cool meet cute you know and Mm -hmm. it's it's filmed that way too. And the way, just the way it cuts the flashbacks with the like quick fade in and outs from black, it really, really works well Mm -hmm. in the movie. I also think the detail of like the, the kissing the, the sugar storm in New York to then him kissing his lover with the same way with the snow is like very good detail of like, if Amy wasn't a psycho, you would be like, Oh my God. Well, that's and it's so good about that. I mean, the first scene is great with the sugar storm because you're just like, that's a cool thing. I want to mm-hmm. see that and kiss someone um, yeah. you're like it's genuinely romantic. But when she's telling the story of catching him cheating on her in the real snowstorm, it's great because she lets down her character to tell the Lola Kurt character 
you know, at this point, she's pretending to be someone else from New Orleans on the run, but it's clearly so upsetting to her in like that it breaks the Amy's like per- perfect veneer. And she's like, I should just tell this person what actually happened. So yeah. that's great. It's great that it's a real snowstorm. And I love there's so many good match cuts between flashback and present tense in this movie. Mm-hmm. When when it's going from the flashback of her seeing uh, Ben Affleck getting ready to put his finger on uh Emily Ratajkowski's lips and it mm. cuts to the close-up of Lola Kirk's lips as smoke escapes from them because she's smoking <laughs> it's just so good oh um, there's a there's a number of those like when uh he and Amy I, with the DNA swab yeah the the cut from them kissing to him having his mouth swab for DNA in the present is just you're like man this dude <laughs> he's getting fucked and it's so fun to watch <laughs> yeah no for sure um, what's up Lola Kirk because I, I have a critique and I'm curious what you think because I, I think one of my critiques I feel might be unfair but I'm going to get it out there so Tanner and I are big Lola fans uh, from Mistress America she's uh, Jemima Kirk from Girls Younger Sister um, we're both we both find her troublingly attractive <laughs> um, she's a great actor too and she's a good musician um, very very cute I think this is kind of reminds me of like um, this conversation the two of us had about like Garden State. So Garden State, they could have cast a weird girl. Instead, they cast Natalie Portman and like made her weird. I kind of feel that way a little bit here. And I think it's different when it's a leading, you're trying to sell a movie, right? So you're having Natalie Portman in Garden State really helps you sell a movie. But Lola Kirk in this is like pretending to be this, like this, person and it's she has no merit on on the marketability of the film you don't even right. know she's, she, she's not famous in real life anyway really outside of you know people who like her outside she's of the not, two of us, <laughs> two of us. <laughs> yeah that character is not going to move the needle i actually kind of it's funny you say that i had the same thought but about uh her partner i was like oh this dude's like the hottest possible meth head abusive hick <laughs> ever um, which is fine and which is fine and fun and i think she's really good at the accent and playing mm-hmm. it trashy in a fun way but i had the same thought i'm like oh yeah you're like a scion of english wealth named after <laughs> another heiress and you're like cosplaying i do think she's really funny and good in it though i agree she gives a good performance and i think that you get into tricky terrain when you're like i think it's really bad because people forget that actors yeah it's their job to transform or whatever And when people are like, oh, you should only play this type of role or only cast this specific type of person for this type of role. Like, I don't think that's um, cool. But I think sometimes in like, I just I love it when characters and we talked about Inherent Vice where Paul Thomas Anderson did what I'm saying to do. But then we criticized it. We were like, that guy's horrible as Dennis and takes you out of the movie actively because his performance is so bad. But I just think it's cool when people give people shots. Like in yeah, the same way yeah. he gives, he gives um, the, who's uh, the woman, the Asian woman in Inherent Vice, what's her name again? Hong Chao. Yeah. Like she was great. Right. And he True. basically discovered her in a way. Like, so when you give someone a shot and then they, they do really well, like, I just think that's cool because I get a little bit, and I don't know, this is me probably projecting about my own like career insecurities or something. But when you have, when you see like how, how it's Hollywood is so like, small and then you see the same people populating across these ways it doesn't feel like there's upward mobility in a way you know no, it's so true and it's like you've got a movie starring ben affleck based on like the biggest book and you're a big director yeah you don't need you could cast anyone mm-hmm. um 
I will. I do want to shout out her uh, her line reading of when when she's talking shit about a- when they're watching the news about Amy and she mm-hmm. doesn't know that Rosamund Pike is Amy and she's talking shit about her and goes to the bathroom and uh, Amy spits in her Mountain Dew and then when <laughs> she comes back takes a sip of the Mountain Dew and then just says fuck yeah. That's <laughs> really really good. It is funny. really funny. And this, uh, yeah, no, that's a great, that's a great line. Like, yeah, she is good. She's definitely good. But no, um, you're, you're so right. Everyone's like a little too hot. Um, a little bit too fucking hot. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, let's see what else. I think one thing that I liked about the book that I felt like this, I do think this is the type of story that we talked about no country. If you like no country, watch the movie. Like the book is the 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 movie is better than the book because it's taking everything that's good about the book and and putting it with these great performances and cinematography and direction on stuff. I kind of feel this way about Gone Girl as well. That if you like this story, watch the movie. Um, I one thing I liked about the book the the narrative device of Amy doing these personality quizzes where she gives multiple choices. It's kind of feels like right. A I remember adventure. that she does that throughout the book, and that does that's something that gets pretty. I think it starts in the beginning of the movie. Correct me if I'm wrong, and they don't. I don't really feel like it continued. I don't know if it's at the beginning, but I think she does it exactly once. Okay. I think that's something that would have been, could have been uh, used more. I think that is a cool device. I agree. I agree. That is a cool device. Um, uh, another thing I, uh, well, first of all, I mean, just Affleck, let's, let's get into it. Him like using, you know, we love him. We hate him so much at the same time. And it's just like, he encapsulates both of these things where like, you know, we assume he's the dumb one. He's not Matt Damon. He's mm-hmm. very handsome, but also like soft, you know? Yeah. And it's just for him to play the thing where like everyone loves this guy, Midwestern hometown hero, you totally buy it. And then as soon as he starts fucking up and they all start to hate him, you're like, no, no, no. Yes. Everyone <laughs> would flip on this guy because it's happened to Ben Affleck so many times. I mean, it happened like he's been through like two more cycles of this since this movie came out. I, I wrote down there's the line he has uh, after he like pulls off the interview where mm-hmm. what does he say? Um, they disliked me. They liked me. They hated me. Now they love me. And it's like, that's Ben Affleck, like to a T. And <laughs> it he, is. he plays it so well. Like when they when they're first doing the press conferences and he smiles. Oh, my God. It's you're just you. you it's like you idiot but also yeah. he what else is he gonna do he's got a good smile and that's what he's used his whole life you just it's so believable and just watching him get tortured you're almost like i can't believe ben affleck agreed to do this because you're like it feels like he's being made fun of the whole movie it does in a way i think but i think that's why we don't like ben affleck i don't think he's aware but like, I think he, I think he, I don't know. I, cause I think he's, he is obviously really smart. He's directed like mm-hmm. several pretty good movies, but then yeah, I, he can't help but fuck up. So I think, you're, yeah, yeah, I think that's true. No, I mean, I'm I being a right. little hard. You're no, I think you're right. But I just have a feeling though. Yeah. I can't imagine being a leading man, leading woman in a movie. Cause it's like, you're so like, you get real time. I feel like at like their, their level, it's almost like the box office. It's like, yeah, it is that they love you. They hate you. And you go through that frenetic ride, but I feel like it feels like Ben Affleck's maybe like, I knew it. They always love. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, you're, you're true. Yeah. It's so true. And it's like, uh, yeah, he was know. always there. Another funny thing I noticed is that the part where she's like, they say marriage is hard work, 
we didn't find that to be true at all or whatever. What another famous kind of fuck up Ben Affleck did when he won the Oscar for Argo, he was still married um, mm-hmm. to Jennifer oh, Garner. This. Yeah. Oh, and he says, I want to, th-, he like, thanks her. I think it's really sweet. And he, but he like, is like marriage is hard work. And in the hindsight of them getting divorced, I think people mm-hmm. were kind of like, why would you say that? Um, mm-hmm. But I think it was cool. And like, he's really vulnerable. Like we've seen mm-hmm. him be like fucking drunk, falling off the wagon in public. And he's been so outspoken about, alcoholism i think it's you know pretty cool of him uh but it's just god it's so funny i think the funniest moment where just like i guess it's like schadenfreude where you just watching him fuck up it's when he when he walks into the shed and sees all of the things he was supposed <laughs> yeah. to purchase and his hands are just on his head like <laughs> oh no <laughs> because it's also like you are more on his side at the beginning like because you're like okay he's Ben Affleck. We've seen, we see this flashbacks of him so mm-hmm. believably like, yeah, maybe it's the idea of a man, but watching him play mm-hmm. video games on the couch, you're like, kind of like, fuck this guy. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the, the fact, I think it's even better than like the proper twist that she's made up her diary mm-hmm. and is still alive. The twist of the reveal that not only does he have a mistress, but it's his student and it's fucking Emily Ratajkowski. You're just like, you lose man you're you can't come back from this like i know it looks bad and then i think that i do think i I love that too because you and not even about this specific of being a professor or whatever and having a student who's really young there are certain situations that we all get in that we're like i know it looks bad but in your head you always feel like if you if you just got your chance to explain it like people would get it but then uh-huh. it's the type of thing where you then realize oh no it looks bad because it is bad is bad <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> oh my god and I, I don't can't remember if this line's in the book but when when Margot finds out that he's a professor sleeping with his student and she goes i thought writers hated hated cliches and he goes well i'm not a writer <laughs> oh yeah it's true so Maybe, funny it's funny to say that now we can get into deep ter- terrain i'll be anonymous but i have a good friend who like i feel like and i, I haven't talked to him in a while but um he like kind of a number of events happened he got really unlucky with like uh with like you know like he got into a fight in college like his friend got to a fight and he like stepped in to like help because it was like a group thing and then he ended up getting charged with like assault like that type of thing he had like all these Ugh. He got a DUI when he blew a 0.02, but he was under 21. So anything in the state of Pennsylvania counts as a DUI, like that type of stuff. And then he like couldn't leave the state of Pennsylvania for a few years. So he basically had to live at home. So he didn't have a college degree because he was still finishing up, yada, yada, yada. But I feel like he started to behave in a way of like a townie because he was like, being like because he was like in his head you know what i mean right self-fulfilling like, self-fulfilling thing and i feel like it was and uh i remember being like talking with another friend being like i don't think so and so realizes he's gotten very unlucky <laughs> you know i feel like he's right, kind of like right. i am a piece of shit like i got a dui i got a, an assault charge and it's really like no you made the same mistakes that we all make and that almost all of us get away with you know it's uh that's so sad and yeah, yeah. it's kind of like part of that movie is watching someone specifically like play god and inflict this on ben affleck yeah <laughs> and like the cut i mean it's become a meme and knowing the flash or uh knowing what the twist is having read the book but the cut to her driving right after you hear the voiceover of i'm so much happier now that i'm dead just so thrilling mm-hmm. and like you're like man i don't want to root for this crazy person but you kind of like pump your fist it's so oh, funny yeah. and it just feels- like Go, Go ahead. ahead. 
no, I was going to say because it, it it's it's the it's such a more fun plot, you know. Yeah. Than like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You've seen this movie a million times on made for made for TV television or made made a made for TV movie where it's like the husband who's like you know the Scott Peterson or whatever. Like we've seen this story a million times. This is the one story where no, he's actually being framed by his psychotic and superior wife <laughs> yeah and you can't help i mean it's like i feel like tyler perry gets at this tanner bolt my name's mm-hmm. like where he's just like when he tells him the story and he just laughs he's like it's just so crazy he's like you too <laughs> and you're, you're like yeah you're very right tanner bolt and oh my god i think it's too what do you make of the endings i think the ending is great but it's also like the type of thing where he's like being like, Oh, now there's a kid involved and you know, I got to stick it out because, and she's like basically threatening to like whatever. And I just think it ultimately shows yeah, Ben Affleck is his kind of weakness of like, you don't actually bend to that, you know, <laughs> like you don't be like, I guess I'll live with this person who has complete dominion over my life. Now, like you got to fight back. And in, in eventually, like, I didn't get the sense that he was like plotting being like, no, I'm getting myself out no. of this. I feel right. like there's the like, one scene where he's talking in the mirror about how he's going to, what he's going to say. And then mm-hmm. like she reveals she's pregnant and it's just like, but I mean, she does have him cornered. I also think he kind of likes it, you know, or like mm-hmm. likes her a little bit. I was going to bring this up as a question. I watched the movie and I'm like, hundred percent. I'm in, I, I wouldn't fight it. I knew I would give up and honestly probably be kind of into it. Really? I think so. I, there's no way I, I attempted to, to beat her. I think I'm I, too self-righteous because I still ran like the other day I was thinking I was in the shower and like a interpersonal conflict with like one of my parents came up and I got like a jolt of anger being like, this is, that was unfair. Like, you know, yeah, <laughs> like, okay. like, that, that's, that's true. I would probably really harbor resentments, but it's like, you're so far past that where she's explaining it all to him, where she's like, we have to do this. Like, like it's not even in secret in the relationship where I just watch and I'm like, this could definitely happen to me. It is, which is why I love the ending. Cause it's so it's the darkest possible ending. My girlfriend was watching and she knew the twist, but didn't know how it ended. Mm-hmm. And so she was like, well, she's not going to kill herself anymore. It doesn't seem cause she kept, she removed the kill, kill myself question mm-hmm. mark post. Yeah. And she's like, so maybe Affleck has to die. And I was just like, no, it's way darker than that. <laughs> they're, they're together forever. Um, oh, and, and the last shot repeating the. It's interesting because I think a lot of it made, has been made about, you know, Fincher likes Hitchcock generally. And there's some similarities, but it's such an inversion of like the Hitchcock blonde. So many movies have copied Vertigo, but this mm-hmm. is so literally exactly Vertigo, except she comes back and she's the one doing it. Like mm-hmm. where in Vertigo, she, they fakes a woman's death for him to like get him past something and make money. And then she comes back and he has to remake the blonde in the old blonde's image. But mm-hmm. in this one, it's, she fakes her own death disappeared and then comes back and remakes him in the perfect image. And then he's just <laughs> stuck staring at her like head, not knowing what's on the inside. You're like, man, she got you. But oh, the girl. other, uh, Oh, Other... no. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, I just want to get this out there real quick. And then I want to hear your point. We got to shout out the mom's performance. Great. 
Oh, she's so funny. Or amazing so Amy. Oh my God. The, the parents you don't are want to so funny. That. They're so great. Sorry. All the bit parts. That? Casey, I almost called her Casey Anthony. Casey Wilson Casey as, the, as the random mom down the street is mm-hmm. hilarious. And, and Noel Hawthorne. So good. And how she, he's like, she, we don't know them. And that is, she's fake that. All that. The woman who takes a selfie with him and he just has this shit eating, like fake grin. <laughs> but the part that I think is like the perfect Affleck moment is I love that they pause the reveal that, you know, he's killed the interview. Uh, like that he's done a great job rather not mm-hmm. made it go away. And then you see it from her point of view and where he's, you've seen him be a dipshit like Affleck can be a dipshit the whole time. But then he finally figures out how to turn it on just like Ben Affleck sometimes does. <laughs> that scene is so good where we're watching her watch him and watching Neil Patrick Harris, like be totally charmed by him and watching him like win. Yeah. It's amazing when she's eating like the creme brulee and oh my God. And he's just staring and sad. See, so funny. That's the type of thing that is a meta moment that you just like, you know, it's an interview within this movie, you know, and it's like we're watching it like they're watching it. Like It's true. It's true. It is. That's a really good part. I love. Yeah. NPH is great in this. And like, there's just there's something so uh, you realize as well. It's funny because there is some more gray area. It's like, no, Desi is a creep, though. Right, right. And in the book, it's very much realized because he's really, he really is kind of being like, once you look like yourself again, you're good to go. Like, once you lose this weight, once you get your hair back, like, once you wear these clothes, <laughs> like, oh yeah. my God. It's so, it's so yeah. Cool. Even in the movie, they have the one mention of that. But like, the way he watches her eating like the creme brulee, you're like, this is fucked up. This like, is- maybe he doesn't deserve to die. But I also no. love that house is both incredible and like exactly what like not quite tasteful wealth looks like, you know? Yeah. Like, I'm like, God, I don't even know where I know this house, but it just feels so real. And it's so exciting when it's very Fincher processy as soon as she like is with him and gets the short hair. First of all, she looks cool as hell with the short hair. <laughs> but it, it reminded me like there's this sequence at the end of Girl with the Dragon Tattoo where like the plots resolved itself. But then Rooney Mara gets to like go on this trip and create fake identities and hack and steal all this money. And it's just like all the process of that. That's what this reminded me of that kind of Mm -hmm. like bottomless, like, oh, what's even happening now where she's like acting for the cameras and then it has all these all the quick cuts to black are so cool. And then when she finally kills him, so funny, like the shot when they're having she forces him to have sex or convinces him to and the shot from behind his butt of her reaching her hand up and grabbing him is both so like pathetic kind of sexy and just funny that she's like (laughs) knowing and having seen it knowing that she's about to like gut him oh man it's so crazy it's fucking horrifying but yeah it's all those things as well i think there's a great moment too then when um someone's explaining i think maybe bonnie is explaining what she did to desi and then i think nick goes yeah nick is like how'd she get a knife yeah yeah (laughs) where'd she get a box cutter yeah that it's when she's when uh when the cop is the only one who doesn't buy her story when she's like explaining to the fbi oh i love that i just can't remember it's great because like you're like amy knows she knows and there's Mm -hmm. the part like well what is your husband how's your husband been and then she's like he's great or whatever and we just see Affleck smile and wave and then see her silently say something from the other end and you're like man she's pulling all the strings on this 
Oh, man. Yeah, no, it's I love that. I'm glad you shouted that one out, too. That's a great scene. And what she says is so like, yeah, it's like very like just quick question for you. And it's like it's not even accusatory. It's like trying to get clarification and everyone like like looks at her like she slapped Amy in the face. Yeah, yeah. I also uh, last last thing, then let's get on to Fincher. Unless, you know, you also have stuff The I love the way that for a brief moment, the movie becomes what it's what like, it's almost like Amy takes over the direction when she comes home covered in blood. And then she's like, I don't know if she tells him to dip her or whatever, but she's like, he's like, you fucking bitch. And then she like goes into like the, the, you know, like she's being held by a returning soldier. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then the camera booms up to the heavens as though this is like the movie actually thinks it's good briefly. It's just, (laughs) oh, it's so cool. That is cool. That whole part, too, when they're in the the bath, which was also or the shower. I forget the shower. Oh, yeah. Well, the scene when you see Ben Affleck's penis. Oh, just a piece of it, right? Just a just a sliver. Just a sliver. I don't know if I did. I, I, I was rewatching. I watched it with Corey all the way through when we were in Italy. And then um, I rewatched like 75% of it yesterday. Um, so I don't remember how about how much speaking percents, how much of the penis do you see? I think you might see like like 80%, but uh, oh, wow. full, full length, but not, not all full I had to rewatch. <laughs> Gotta yeah, re- yeah. Watch the final twenty. You spent time rewatching the movie. I just went back and watched that scene ten times. <laughs> um, it's very rare. I, I, we, I talked about this. I don't know if I did I read a paper on it. I think I just talked about it once in class. Have you noticed that women? I grant. I think this is probably the same for vaginas, but women can have <laughs> boobs. Women can show boobs in a movie, and it's PG thirteen. Anytime you see a dick, it's always R. It's R instantly. Yeah, it's true. But so I guess weird. the same as vaginas, right? There's no PG thirteen <laughs> vagina movie. I also don't know if I've seen a vagina in a movie. Have you? Definitely. Ever seen have. a vagina by itself? <laughs> Not for me. Let's make the first PG thirteen vagina, vagina movie. But I don't know if I have. Sincerely, I have. Uh, oh wait, I'm this- lying. I've seen it. Schindler's List. Uh, like, <laughs> oh, I love that. That's the example. Sorry, that's I, that's when I saw vaginas for the uh, first time. Re- oh, like in your life? Yeah, I saw it when I was I saw Schindler's List when I was like ten. Like I just saw parts of it. Damn, that's a crazy trivia fact about your life. Yeah. Sorry, makes sense. That. No, yeah. no, totally. Anyway, uh, I just watched Shortcuts, the Robert Rama movie, a couple months ago, and there's a, a long scene in which Julia Julianne Moore mm. is arguing with Matthew Modine, and she's just fully bottomless, like has a top on, but she spilled on her pants, and it's just yeah, the whole scene is okay, full, full frontal with the with the bottom half. As soon as I said it now, yeah, I can think about this because Greta Gerwig shows a vagina in a number of her mumblecore movies that are on YouTube. There you go. I was like, that's bad. I mean, I totally get why women don't want to get naked and things like that's it's fucked up. But like the, when Greta Gertwig is willing to do that or like Lena Dunham for things that don't matter at all, you're like you're right in your body as a vessel for art. Like, I, I do think that that is is cool, even though I, I totally understand why it would make most people uncomfortable. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's touch. It's it's weird. Um, yeah. Maybe we'll cut that part out. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> i don't know yeah let's have a producer we have no a, like i'll give an example cut I'll, out I'll the vagina double, part I'll, I'll double down for one second and then maybe let's do we'll it. Cut it all out okay so for example i was writing the boom the actually the role that was criticized by someone saying to me it sounds like a, a woman written by a man right there's a sex scene in with that character and i wrote it like sex scene right and then actors who were seriously considering it were talking to me like is this nudity is there nudity required 
And I was like, no, but are you interested in doing that? And one woman was like, maybe one woman was like, no, I was like, okay, we definitely don't have to do it. But the thing is, if I, if the actor is somebody who's like a burlesque dancer, somebody who is like, thinks that that their body is part of this expression and thinks this, I don't want to require it because I wasn't paying the actor. It wasn't professional production. I think it would, I personally would be uncomfortable because I have, haven't directed that. So for me, I was like, it's not a non-starter, but if I find an actor who actually thinks it's interesting or empowering to be naked on screen, then we'll do it. Yeah, that's how I felt. I think that's a very considered way to think about it, man. Okay, cool. No, and I don't think you, you didn't sound gross talking about it before, I promise. I just didn't, I was kind of like, I don't know what to contribute and I'm panicking. Uh, (laughs) Okay, well, okay, maybe we'll leave it. Yeah. Yeah. I like, I like it. So we got a couple minutes here left. Um, I'm going to tip my hand and say I, I go Zodiac number one for Fincher for me. Um, I go Social Network two. I go Gone Girl th- three. No, no. I go seven three. I think Gone Girl is a better movie, but I like seven so you more. Like seven. I go Gone Girl four, Fight Club five, but I might put ahead of all of them the show Mindhunter. Whoa, great take. Yeah, that was really, I wasn't expecting that. Boom. Yeah, it's, it's a hard one. I think... I do think Zodiac and Social Network are the one and two with a bullet. Oh man, yeah, it's hard. Um, I pro- yeah, I would probably go Gone Girl three, then seven, then the game, then Fight Club. I might actually do Benjamin Button before Fight Club. Mm. So then Fight Club, then Mank, then Panic Room. God, Mind Hunter, I don't know. Yeah, I might put him direct them though, right? Just he just executive produced, but we'll still give it to him. So he directed the first two of the first season. I think he directed like half of the second season. And it sounds like especially the second season was like really fully under his control. I mean, there are great directors, Andrew Dominic. Well, his Marilyn Monroe movie sucked. Um, but oh, I haven't seen it. Blonde, you thought Blonde sucked? Yes, it's very impressive. Wow, very impressive aesthetically, really incredible. Yeah, I think it's terrible. Um sorry i just been meaning to say this um um so just speaking on on our last episode was our joyce oates episode and while i was in this wedding i went to for my friend christy two women there both went to the uh, mfa program at university of iowa Uh so they were like huge deal huge deal shout out hannah hannah horvath Exactly. And one of them was from, as was just said, like, she's like, just when I thought girls wasn't getting more like my life, because she grew up in New York and was Jewish and, and like, I had all the same backstory as Hannah. Um, then Hannah goes to whatever. Anyway, long story short, both of them were really jaded, I felt. And it was, they were both really brilliant women and uh, they were really helpful because I'm considering an MFA. Uh, but they both really did not like their experience there. And, Interesting. and their writing has taken a toll accordingly, it seems. One of them, still does a lot of work. One of them is doing something completely different. Long story short, the one is doing something completely different. It was really smart and cool. She said that she's heard through the grapevine that Joyce Carol Oates steals her students' premises. That's crazy. That's yeah. so funny. And they oh say that God. she writes so fast that it's like, next thing you know, students... I just feel like I had to say that because we talked about and like apparently she's like champions like all her students or whatever, but uh, apparently like really the, the word around the campfire is she steals. That is crazy. Joyce, you're wild. Uh, <laughs> wow. That's yeah. a great intel. That's the, really cool. The thing that's funny to me, though, too, because I was talking to her about it, and I was like, well, there's an expression, is what I said to her. I was like, there's an expression that you can't actually steal an idea. You can only steal, like, completed work. Because, like, we could have this – I could tell you an idea for a movie I have. You could write – you still have to write it. 
But right. I think that changes if you're the professor. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's that's it's a little different. And you're a um, world famous rich professor. Yeah, Damn, that's crazy. A uh, real quick want to shout out Lean and Dunham made two movies this year. They're both really good and totally different. And I'm like, honestly, after like her seeming like she just had a huge fall from grace that she would never return from, it's awesome to see that she just made two cool movies this year. Sharp Stick and Catherine Called Birdie. Both really good. I'll check them out. I think Lena Dunham gets a lot of unfair criticism. I think she gets she gets some fair criticism for sure, but she gets a ton of unfair criticism. It's so true. I actually, I would, I don't remember who tweeted this, but I saw a tweet recently that thinks a lot of this, I mean, she has a lot of self-owns for sure, where you're just like, man, you could have not said that and been fine. <laughs> but I think a, a, this tweet uh, posited that a lot of that comes from in the pilot of Girls, the character... Hannah Horvath, who's high, saying that she thinks she might be the voice of my generation. But then she also says, which is such a funny line, or at least a voice, voice. of a generation. generation. I love that line. And so I think people like attributed, I mean, Girls was obviously also like by the media, by HBO positioned as like a generational thing for mm-hmm. sure. But it's like a lot of people are like, well, Liam Dunham thinks she's the voice of her generation. And it's like, she was making fun of a character who's essentially herself. Like she's the mm-hmm. joke in that situation. Grow up. Uh, yeah. And it just shows the, the, and then she's trying to convince her parents to give her money. She looks, she's, she looks bad. Yeah, exactly. It's so, funny. And it's like, I think the, the thing I think is really unfair is like, we're acting like, and this is just now I'm defending Lena Dunham, but like about casting choices in 2010, but you got a lot of shit for having all the leads be white. And it's like, are you acting like four white girls don't hang out? <laughs> they do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like I have friends of, I have girlfriends who are all white and they all hang out. And I'm not saying right. that we don't want a more inclusive society. And I'm not saying that maybe it should have been cast different, but Brie acting like that, that's like, that because she cast all four roles as white and wrote them as white, that she's like somehow a racist when it's very clearly she, if anything, she's like a hack. Right. She she yeah, she exactly. that she knew. And what's funny about that is like, I get the other end of that critique being that not only were they all white, but all four lead actors are like, you know, uh, to some degree nepotism people, mm-hmm. uh, which is interesting and genuinely weird that they all are like, mm-hmm. you know, we've discussed the Kirk's, uh zosha mamet mm-hmm. um fucking allison williams and then lena dunham um but what's funny about that is like who's the successful girls cast member the fucking dude who looks like a normal person from indiana who was in the marines is the most famous actor now oh for uh, sure that's kind of like it's like well justice it worked out you know yeah and no but like we've talked about this a lot like it's very easy to be like like look at people nep i get nepotism why it pisses people off because everyone's working so hard and literally eating beans like cormac mccarthy for 20 years to have any shot and and the similar way i think it is weird that lola kirk gets to be in a david fincher movie in a very minor role when they could have easily discovered somebody etc that being said even if you get the role in a bit of an unfair way you still got to deliver the goods exactly and everybody in that show all four of them are great really good so and detailed and specific i have like 10 tweets in my whole life i no longer have twitter but one of my tweets was it's crazy to me that the most three-dimensional male characters on television are on hbo's girls because i feel like adam driver's character ray ray oh and, my god and uh chris chris what's his last he's charlie in the movie christopher the abbott yeah those three are like like i've never seen like more like, I just think those are the best male characters on TV at the time were those guys. It's so true. 
more like boys right? more like boys anyway um, i go uh mindhunter over gone girl but below zodiac and social network i decided while we were talking about the NFL. okay good i completely forgot where house of cards we won't count he's in he does house of cards he like co-created and directed the first two episodes but then i don't think he directed anymore and that show just kind of like stole like the aesthetic idea of fincher i think that mm. show sucks but it was the first you know like prestige streaming tv show so that was him I have this one thought. I always think about House of Cards because I've never seen it. But uh, I had a professor my senior year um, in my like capstone class who was she was we were talking about our first class. We were talking about the novel as a form and how people said television would be like the bane of existence, all this stuff and novel. And she was like, but then she was she was like, do you know why the novel is no longer like the ultimate art form and we're like why i'm like tether hook she goes because house of cards is fucking amazing <laughs> oh my god it's like speaking of little kirk there's that great line in uh in mistress america when they go to the rich guy's house um and he's like i think he, maybe he says something about what it thinks he could write tv and then he goes which i hear is the new novel <laughs> oh yeah and uh yeah mr samirians that felt very like uh talking to the viewer at home yeah like, yeah totally okay so i know you got to go at two it's 204 is there any stone unturned or anything we should chat before you we hop off here i should probably rest my voice too because i have covid but i'm very much enjoying this this is the most human contact i've great. had in days uh yeah let's see what else i uh i like the establishing shot of the st louis of the arch in st louis i love the arch I'm going oh, to you're St. about Louis. to go there for a wedding. Going too. to St. Louis in, in two weeks, and I can't wait to see the fucking arch. It's huge. <laughs> People know it's big. I don't think they know how big. I've never been to St. Louis. I like St. Louis. Uh, cool Midwest. Yeah, like you. It's. I like that this is a Midwestern movie. I feel like it gets that look down so specifically in both good and bad ways. Um, Neil Patrick Harris, when she mentions that they were talking about going to Greece, and he says, like, kind of excited and sad, octopus and Scrabble. <laughs> really really funny that's oh, yeah. all i got i just wanted to include that great uh i'll include on our way out here um bloviate about proust and yes movie. oh my god he i thought of almost you. the exact ideal same line. i mean maybe we just committed uh what cryptomynesia i didn't even realize it oh fuck were you joyce carol oded dude <laughs> yeah joyce, no I, but rather we didn't. We had enough difference on it, and it was a different context. But uh, we basically wrote the exact same line in our script. Not only did we write that, we also encouraged each other to read Proust recently. So we're kind of on both ends of that. And you succeeded in reading Proust, and I failed miserably. Well, well, well. We don't have to get into that. Well, I think we do because I I owe you you I I like I sent you like a fully passionate paragraph being like I need a partner in crime I needed to, to do this and then I think I really got the wrong translation and about halfway through I'm like I just can't I can't I well need- I'm happy you made me do it it worked out for me well that's good then um <laughs> I recently I was funny because I just had the same thought but I'm I'm still in my World War II phase right now pretty hard. And I'm reading two books at the same time because one's really long. The long one is The Naked and the Dead by Norman Mailer. And it's very good. And I'm like, dare, when I finish that one, I'm reading other short ones in between. Dare I go Gravity's Rainbow? You should. That would be a great, yeah, great time to do it. That makes sense. I don't know. I don't know. But uh, (laughs) we'll see. Because I hated V. I fucking hated it. (laughs) But you love Gravity's Rainbow and you hate V, right? Or do you you hate V? I don't hate V. I like Gravity's Rainbow more. Okay. Um, it is both more difficult Man, you hate and, and more fun. You hate V. <laughs> Gaslighting me into hating V. 
Oh, I have to send you a video. It's so funny. Uh, I'm literally, I'm in, in Venice and I'm sitting on like this and I was getting a lot of judgmental looks. It's funny because I don't drink at all, but I was um, sitting on like this, we're in this alleyway, right? And we went to this place to get like these, the traditional fare there, which are like these kind of open face sandwiches, ironically. And, um, and, uh, and I'm sitting with a glass of wine, eating like open face sandwiches. There's a video of it. And Florence goes, is I'm talking to Florence and I burp in the video and Florence goes, I burped. And I go, no, I burped. And she was like, and she was like, no, I burped. And I go to the camera. I'm like, I'm literally being gaslit right now. And Florence goes, you're not being asslit. I'm being asslit. <laughs> that is so cute. And I was like, it's really funny. I'm like, this is literally got, you're literally gaslighting me so hard. And uh, we don't, uh, last bit on this. I recently, you'll, you'll appreciate this. Evan, my roommate was watching the Darjeeling Limited and I like came down for it. And, uh, 2007 obviously is a term because gaslit is a movie from the 40s mm -hmm. but i've read an article recently that like it did not start popping up for real until the 2010s like often and mm -hmm. i think it's owen wilson says to jason schwartzman and he says you're gaslighting me and jason schwartzman goes what's gaslighting and then they just cut away to something else and evan and i were like whoa that oh. was weird to see in a 15 year old movie I wonder if that's because I had a note here too that uh, Twincest. I feel like this is that brought Twincest in. That surprised me too. I was gonna make a Twincest joke, and then the guy said Twincest. Pretty good. <laughs> my Mike's ex boyfriend was a twin, and uh, he really did not. We would make Twincest jokes, and he really did not like it. Um, she did not a fan of us. Not a Mike fan wasn't of a fan of the boyfriend or both. Uh, the boyfriend was not a fan of the joke. Okay, okay. And okay. we, me and Mike would see fair, honestly. If he's listening to that, there's no way he's listening to this deep in the episode at some point. But uh, Mike and I would joke about. <laughs> we'd be like, whenever he would go on a family thing, his boyfriend, me and Mike would be like, "Promise me, you're not going to hook up with your brother." <laughs> like, <laughs> we That's know how you guys get. So funny, and me, we know how you guys get. Oh, God. Love Mike. All right, Tanner. Well, hey, this was great. I'm sorry that I'm not in L.A. and then I have COVID and that we're not right. I'm sorry you don't have COVID. Or I'm sorry you have COVID as well. But uh, I'm glad we did this. And then um trying to think what else. Yeah, we'll talk. We'll talk later about stuff. But I got the RSS stuff going up and adding all the uh, the episodes now. So I feel like we're pretty we're pretty much on our way for season one drop. And, you know, I think any in the next couple of weeks. We are here, girl. <laughs> very exciting thank you for listening to the film girls podcast <laughs> film girls film girls all right good to see you man you too later matt bye